This is iFanboy Pick of the Week 750, brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you. Specifically you. I'm looking at you. Hello. Welcome to iFanboy Pick of the Week podcast, episode seven hundred and fifty. That's uh, if this was a comic book, they would it would be it would be at least double sized. They would right. be there would be other stuff in it that you didn't normally expect. And good news, we're following the model of the medium for which we are known <laughs> about talking. The triple size anniversary issue. Yes, exactly. Although it's not really an anniversary, given the the definition of that word anniversary. It's close though. It's this is September, and I, we launched in November. Of so this would be fifteen years, yes. All right, but it's the thing is it's not. Yeah, it's not. It's not. But that's it's all, fine. It's all bullshit. It's all it's all bullshit. That's my point. Nothing hey, we're doing sense. it live. We're Nothing doing matters. it live. This is live. I am Josh Flanagan. I'm here with Conoco Patrick. Hi. Uh, who uh, he doesn't know why, but I resent <laughs> him right now. I almost forgot to say hi. I think he does. Um, I have a I have a traditional anniversary cocktail. This is a Negroni. It's one part gin, one part Campari, one part vermouth. Every time someone all... says the word Negroni, I think that they probably shouldn't. <laughs> it's Italian. It's, the word. it's I, a I guy's just, name from Italy. I understand that, but it doesn't feel that way. I understand. Okay. But that's what I've got going. Josh has uh, a water. I don't know. This is a this is a cider, and it's in my Yeti tumbler. I got water in a Yeti tumbler on next to me. Yeah. Well, I might at some point we're going to take a bathroom break and then I will <laughs> switch it out. I also have three quarters of a diet Dr. Pepper. And the police are here. I should also point out before we get moving on this that this is the first one of these maybe ever that we've only done with two people. I recognize that. I can't. Ryan was supposed off. to join us, but he had a thing he couldn't get out of. And and again, the cops are coming for me. So it'll be a Josh solo show in a minute. I can do um, it. You know it. Usually with three people, some of the load gets taken off. Like you can sort of, you know, relax for a minute. But no, we got to be fully engaged for three hours. Share Itch. the load. We All right, let's promise, do this. We didn't promise three hours. No, 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 no. Most of the time. It's a <laughs> whole other thing. Let's get this going. All right, so we are iFanboy. We like comic books. We talk about them every week. We uh, read our stack of comics. We pick out the one that we liked best for whatever reason is that we choose we liked it best. <laughs> we call that the pick of the week. We talk about other books from the week. We talk about the patron pick. We do some mail if possible. But this week, things are all different. This week, we are going to talk about two comic books. We're going to talk about Connor's pick of the week, which yep. is some sort of mental illness thing going on. <laughs> and then we are going to talk about the patron pick. Same, same. And then we are going to do as many emails as we can stand. For the remainder until yeah. I'm like, I, I, I have to go to bed or until Connor passes out. One of those things. Are, is it hot there? It's a little not hot. I just I was running around a lot before the show. Understood. I took a shower about an hour ago. I got a light on me. Yep. It's just there's a lot of things going on. Oh, you've, you've lit. I just look like this. Yeah. I am self-illuminating. <laughs> that's my trade. That's my patron power. You just blew a patron power. You could have given that to the I know. Two. I know. It's fine. You know what? I'm chock full of them. Not yeah. true. This is the 750 episode. This is all listener, like we said. Uh, it'll be a good time. 
theoretically. Before we get to that, there will be a spoilers. There will, <laughs> spoilers uh, <laughs> from Madrid. Be many spoilers. This is a review show. We'll be talking about what happens in those books, and and chances are, at some point in these hours coming, we will talk about something that you haven't read, and we'll spoil that too. Yeah, sorry. I, I think we should point out just before we go that if you have stumbled on this show, it's not a normal show. It ain't normal. They're not, they're not normal. They're not like you and me. So come back or check behind this show to find a normal. This is a special anniversary episode. That's true. I'll do the pick. Yeah, you have it. I don't know what's going on. There's, we never have sirens around here. Pick of the week is Dark Knights colon death metal dash speed metal number one from Joshua Williamson, Eddie Barrows, Eber Ferreira, Adriana Lucas, Steve Wands. I had a really hard time making a pick this week. Clearly. I... I, I I can't remember a harder week. So, I mean, walk me through this. Was there, because, was, I think it's probably 10% of it was like, oh, it's a, it's for a big live show, mm-hmm. you know, like jitters. 10% okay. was not having the Wednesday deadline anymore, meaning no more like you have to pick. Like I, I was able to like live in my head for a long time. Oh, yeah. And then I liked things, but I didn't really love anything. Mm-hmm. Do you know, like things were fine, and I had to think of okay, which one of these did I like enough to really praise? I even tried new things. I tried the Skull Guy book, Skull Digger, and Skeleton that, Boy. The, book. Uh, what, what's that called? The the Jeff Lemire universe. It's from universe. Black Hammer. It's Jeff Lemire and um, Ton Ton Tonchik uh, Tanji Zanzik. Terrific artist, oh, yeah, and that was cool. good. It was yeah. good. It, the fourth issue wasn't the best, so I ended up rereading Dark Knights. Colon death metal hyphen speed metal number one. And look, did you read this by the way? I did. Okay. Read is a generous <laughs> interpretation of what I did with it, but I I went through it. <laughs> I looked at all the pictures. I took in many of the words. I had a lot of questions. Listen, um, the, the overall metal story. I don't care. Well, I I, I mean, here's why you talk about the book. I really want to do that. Yeah. Why did you read this? Why did why was this even? I, it wasn't on my pull list originally. So you like you finished everything. You're like, I guess I'll try this. I, and I, honestly, I'll, I'll kind of nod to the patrons. They were talking about it, saying how great it was. And so I was like, okay, well, I need something. And that was like, I I added Skull Digger. I added this one. Again, Batman who laughs. Don't care the whole metal storyline. I don't care. But Williamson wrapped up his Flash run this week too. This was the last issue. So this is kind of like the co-Flash wrap up. Right. And what he does here is within the confines of this Dark Knight's death metal story, he tells the story of the Flash family finally coming back together, and that means the redemption of Wally West a little bit. You know, Wally's been off in the ether, literally. He came back in Rebirth. John's had a, clearly had a whole plan for that. It didn't go anywhere because John's got ousted. Then they brought him back for Heroes in Crisis, and they had turned him into a murderer. And so here we get the sort of the slate wiped clean and not in a comics way, in a character way, whatever's happening. And I don't know what's happening for me. It's not as important as the character interactions between Wally and Barry and Jay, and then a little bit Wallace and a little bit of Bart. They're trying to survive whatever this thing is happening. And it's almost like being dropped in the middle of a story, not really caring, but it is about the characters and it's about Wally and Barry finally coming to terms with whatever problems they've been having. And it's about Jay smacking them in the head for being stupid 
in that great one panel where he smacks them both in the head at super speed. It was all about the characters. And at the end, whatever speed force gobbledygook happens, and the whole Flash family comes together, including Linda, including Wally's kids, Jesse, Max, Bart, everybody, uh, even uh, Iris, who kisses him. And I didn't realize that was Iris. And I was like, oh, who's kissing his aunt? I just love the character interactions. I loved, look, when they put the metal suits on, it was dumb. Like, not when they put them on, when they had them put on them by the whatever magic. But when Wally breaks out and then he and he ends up in his classic Wally old pre-52 costume mm-hmm. from when he was Flash was awesome. This was just it, like character it, stuff. It's it funny because there was a panel where he was talking. He was in that costume and then he was talking to Barry, who's still in the glowy zappy bits. Mm-hmm. And I and I was it was very I was like, oh. God, that's garish. Get it off of him. <laughs> because on its own, like it, it looks enough like the Flash costume that I don't think about it. But there was that one shot, and I was like, oh, that's just make it stop zapping around like that. Yeah. And I even kind of liked that they had the, the cowl rip a little, so his hair flopped out, so he looked a little bit mm-hmm. like Kid Flash again. I just really dug the character interactions. And I love Eddie Barrows. I've always loved Eddie Barrows. He's not right. he's not a superstar. I, I just, I'd call him like a... Not a journeyman that's too middle he's sort of in between he never attained like star status he's sort of he's a little bit unique like it's almost like he he didn't he wasn't quite house style enough but he wasn't quite wacky enough and i think that people didn't really know what to do with him does that make sense like he Mm -hmm. he first showed up i want to say the first time i knew him was on when grug rucker was writing action comics okay and and i thought oh this is really kind of big and exciting but it wasn't big and exciting in the I was about to say Ethan Van Skyver way because that was the thing, but I was trying to think of yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that was the thing. Yeah, right? you know, like, or Ivan Reese, you know, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. He not, was like I almost Ivan Reese, but not quite Ivan Reese. Yeah, so but not, just weird enough yeah, that just for me enough. it makes it more interesting, but also I think for him probably cost him a little bit of work. Or he's an asshole and no one likes to work with him. I don't know. No, he worked for a long time in a lot of yeah. books. He did Nightwing for a good run. Like, he's been around. But he wasn't... Like, but he never hit, like, star status. He hit, like... But right below never, that. He never stays on anything that long. I, I mean, I have okay. to look. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I'm like, oh, there he is. And he'll be around for a couple of issues. And then that'll be it. And then he'll go somewhere else. I'm having a Goodfellas moment. Are you? I don't know why the helicopters are hovering. Something's going down in my neighborhood. None of us hear any helicopters, dude. That's fine. <laughs> take the wrapping off. Take whatever nonsense this was. Mm-hmm. Inside this dumbass story was this great group of characters finally being friends again. You know, they contrived that Barry Wally at their, and they, that's talked about in this issue, yep. which they contrived them to be like butting heads, which did never made any sense. So yeah. here they kind of fix that. And, and in the end, they run off to adventure together with Wally taking the lead. <laughs> There's literally a helicopter hovering over my apartment. building. Where does this fit? Like, is this canon? Is this the story? I guess, well, so... I don't know, because I know that we, last week that the Flash was ending, and it was the big reverse Flash thing, you know, that where he's this, whispering this, everybody's ears. I mean, I don't know how that fits into this. I mean, this fits in between Death Metal 3 and 4, according to To Be Continued in Death Metal 4 at the end. You know, here, it's funny because Doomsday Clock sort of became like this elseworldly story, but it's referenced here, mm-hmm. you know? Well, so yeah. it's like, who knows? Who knows? I gotta I don't say... Know. Uh, it's I Josh normally, Williamson, so I'm sure it fits in somehow, you know? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, you know, that guy's team player. I gotta say, I read it, and I, for, besides the fact that it really didn't fit in with anything, right. um, it felt a little like, 
also ranny in this. Like it was, it was like a simulacrum of Flash story that felt meaningful. Whereas mm-hmm. it, when we read, uh, you know, the Zero Hour, whatever it was, you know, like those Tom Taylor stories, like it's like, oh, these, this feels like these characters. I watched this and I was like, I, I read this and I feel like I feel like I just watched these scenes recently. That's what well, it felt they're like. they're similar. Yeah, 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 a- and. And not as good. And it's just like there was fighting kind of for no reason. I know they were, but also they were doing that issues and issues. So I was like, has nothing changed? But again, I don't know where it fits in. So I don't know my context for this. Yeah, I don't know. And it it could not. But I I assume in Josh Williams's head, he could or he could tell you like where this fits in relation. Absolutely sure he could. But I didn't have that. And so you've got that. You've got the Batman who laughs. You know, at least they took the thing off his face, I guess. Did they? Well, I, 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 my eyes we glaze over whenever anything. I know, but they say stuff. his name and he's yeah. in there, and so it was really hard for me. To, like, I really, I, I didn't, I, I know, I, I can tell what you saw, and I can see it there. I just, I just don't think it carried over. I, I don't think it went that way. I would want this to be a real comic. They stuck it in the middle of this other one to, you know. Yeah, it's unfortunate because this, this, none of this. This stuff all could have happened in Flash. Right. Yes. And it should. You know, like that that should be the deal. We had that little call out to it in the last issue, which was particularly for Flash, in which mm-hmm. Wally shot the lightning down and called to them through the lightning. And then they said, right. Where's Wally? Go see Death Metal, whatever. Well, if that's so, the case, then this is the real thing. Yeah. There was a lot of talking about science and stuff, and then there was like they just were all in. I, I didn't know what was happening. Like I know yep. there was the relationship stuff, but the rest of it going on, I don't know. They were running, but if they ran too fast, it would destroy the speed force. And then there was also the uh, the was it the crisis force or the anti crisis force? Anti crisis matter in him. I don't um, know. That's from whatever. I to me, I just sort of that, took yeah. all that in like comics nonsense that I just mm-hmm. sort of rolled with and. Look, I don't want to qualify this pick because I did really enjoy the scenes of them together, but in another week, this may not have been pick of the week. How shitty were the rest of the comics you read? No, I liked this issue. Okay. I like the art. I like the character stuff. Yeah, I think it's, and, you know, at the end of the day, the character stuff is what we come to these books for. Mm-hmm. And even if it's in the midst of like gobbledygook, that's a segue to the next issue we're going to talk about. <laughs> and as long as the character stuff's strong, then, then, then that can float through all the nonsense. I really like the character stuff. As a, as a guy who's been reading Flash since every month since he was 12. Mm-hmm. You know, it resonated with me. All right. I'm glad that you got some enjoyment out of it. I'm hoping that eventually the people watching this in the live stream will see the SWAT team bust in through my window. That would be the best uh, thing, like the end so of that was vacation. The pick of the week. Now let's do the patron pick over at patreon.com slash ifanboy. The patrons can vote to add a book to the rundown. Any patrons can do so. And this week, the votes are really spread out amongst a lot of books. The winner of the patron pick was X of Swords, colon, creation number one, or as we find out in the comic, Ten of Swords, colon, creation number one, written by Jonathan Hickman and Teeny Howard, art by Pepe Larraz, colors by Marte Gracia, and letters by Clayton Cowles. And this is the 66-page part one of 22 in the X of Swords (laughs) story. Did you notice that in the cover, Josh? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Which is is weird because this felt like a 30-part story. And so 22 more of those is an infinite number of parts, which is Jonathan Hickman's famous circle, which never fucking ends. I laughed reading this because all I did was think about you reading it. And (laughs) I could see your face. I could hear the grunting and the moaning. 
I kept um, checking the page count. I was like, how far am I? Oh my God, I'm only on page 14. And then you'd get to his like chapter separation things. And I'd be like, maybe this is it. No, it's still going. That's uh, the downside of digital. So you never really know how far you are. Yeah. I mean, my review of this is no, 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 please stop. No, go away. Please stop. Why? No. I am done equivocating. Yeah. With the well, Jonathan Hickman's very talented, and he's—I don't get this at all. Like, I get that you—you uh, you know, people really like these characters and all of the apocalypse stuff, which I have never read and I don't understand, and I've never at any point when I've come across it thought, "Man, I need more of this." I had no idea what was happening in any way at any point. Who anybody was, what the stakes were, why I should care, and why the book wouldn't fucking end. It just kept going. Hey. It was just tight. It was just. Soft sci-fi pseudoscience posturing that Stanley would have said that's a bit overwrought. It was too fucking much bullshit that didn't mean anything, and it went on and on and on. And thank God Pepe Larraz can draw something because otherwise it would have clawed my eyes out. He's a terrific artist. He's a great artist. Terrific artist. I agree with you that if you came into this not having read any of the X books, I don't know how they expect people to come in off the street and read this as a big event. But like, I don't. I got to imagine they're only targeting people who are already reading X-Men books. I'm reading X-Men. I'm reading Marauders. I'm reading X-Force. And I barely hung on here. And what this represented to me was all of the stuff I don't like about Hickman's X-Men run. If you remember way back to Powers of X or Powers of Ten and House Mm -hmm. of X, I think that was the the calls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Half those books were this nonsense. Like apocalypses kids other planets you know like these overwrought gods remember we talked about those books like i i don't care about any of this stuff get yeah, back yeah. to you. Yeah, just no, like, yeah. and so that's how i felt reading this was like the first i don't know 10 pages that was set all on that planet uh the kingdom of dreador and other world i was like someone shoot me now I mean, there was in the middle that i did really like and enjoy you know what scene i liked i liked the meeting that was the best thing in this was the meeting. And there's basically was one bit where is it Cypher? Is that the character who talks to Krakoa? I think so. There's a lot of X Doug, Douglas, I don't whatever. He just sits there to talk for the island in case they yep. need to say some shit yes. back and forth. Yes. By the way, there should be an app for that. Because <laughs> first of all, there's some really good scientists there. And you know, that guy just has to sit there in case the tree has to say something. I know it's not a tree, it's a planet, but whatever. It's the island. But that bit, there was one bit where they're talking, and, and at one point, you know, the island's like, you can't do that. And he sets down some rules. He's like, you're guests here. I like right. all this is working out, but you can't, you know, say whatever. And then Professor X in his big, stupid vacuum helmet stands up, and he says, I'm really sorry that we referred to you as a thing and not a, you know, which, by the way, this is like, the, that. That is that is like the next step of, I don't want to call it political correctness, but the idea that, like, there's all sorts of subsections of society that people don't quite know how to handle or how to talk about. Living islands are complicated. Well, I'm just saying, like, it doesn't necessarily make you transphobic if you don't quite know how to refer to somebody because it's all very new, and I can understand that. Now, add in the fact that it's a sentient island. Like, right. are you a him? Or is it, it a they? Or what do we do? But But there was that one part where, like, I like being reminded. I think it's interesting that Krakoa is a sentient being and mm-hmm. it can talk to them. And like that sort of brings it back around to something really interesting. And, you know, that little bit was fun. And that was kind of the only thing that I grabbed on because I knew what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, it was it was really difficult because I thought 
uh, who's the the lady the the woman who's at the end who's very powerful saturnine in a book i'm not reading saturnine who looks just like fucking emma frost yeah so what am i supposed to do with that like it was i I like i like the action sequence in the middle like when they all go to fight to save the dude that got left behind like that was all fun you know it, it was drawn really well there was a nice swerve in the middle one of the characters that had been supposedly good throughout the other books turns finds out is evil like that part was all good but you know that was maybe maybe seven or eight pages out of 66 yeah you know so i mean the thing is when i started when i read those first like x-men and house of x the really interesting thing to me was societal consequences of them starting this nation and how that fits in with the world politics and how it fits yeah. in with their friends and their old friends and their relationships and how that works. And this is what you're saying is that the other side of it was like, and then space boy zippity goo goes over here to the under other world with the, and it's, and they just went full on to that. Well, that's, that was the thing I've been worried about because again, reading those books for the most part, it's been fun with the, you know, story of X-Men and Fuck Island and all their stuff, their adventures. But then every once in a while, you'd like Apocalypse would go through a gate and there'd be a thing and there'd be a lot of long character names. And, you know, I, that was the part I'd always sort of gloss over in the actual books themselves Mm -hmm. or the, the other books I'm reading. And so now that it's the, it's the focus of this 22 part event running through all the books. I think what's interesting is that people like this. And I'm not even coming down on it for it, but I just don't understand. Well, I think like, you'd like it if you're in if you've been reading all the books and you like you know that not, as a concept as a ty- as a type of story. Like I like it feels like I don't get it. It's like terrible music to me, and I'm like, why does somebody like this? And normally I can say, I can say, uh, uh, you know, oh, I, you know, it's not for me, but I get it. But I I don't get it. I just don't understand. Which is not the same thing as me saying it's terrible. I think it's terrible, but clearly other people like it. And I, I obviously like most of the time I can read Hickman's stuff and I can be like, okay, I, I get what the thing is. It's, it doesn't work for me. But I, I mean, if you can follow all that stuff, you're dug in deep. I mean, you're, it was it was pretty plotting in the yeah. beginning, especially it, talk about not starting off your event with a bang. Mm-hmm. Open up with a set piece, man. Mm-hmm. Bring us in. Otherwise, it was just a lot of people and masks talking about really highfalutin things on alien planets i don't know anything about but i mean isn't this what like claremont fans liked isn't that like isn't that what that is i don't know i I, not that's not what i liked when i read claremont i mean i never you know that's what i always thought of it as so which is this is what x-men has always felt like for me but this is like star jammer stuff was pirates in space you Mm -hmm. know this is like uh something different so ratings ratings on X of Swords colon creation number one or ten of swords colon creation number one. One and a half. One and a half out of five. Could not read this. I'm surprised you went one and a half, to be honest with you. Happy Laraz. Right, there you go. Guy did a Terrific. great job. Terrific. But I mean, I guess if the idea is to throw me in the middle of a story, you don't want me to start with this, then you know, fine, but I'm going to give it two and a half. Mm-hmm. Two and a half. You're not sticking with it. We all know that. Everyone knows that. The whole building knows. Everyone knows. I'm not. My wife's and downstairs. I, she's like, boy, you didn't like whatever that is. <laughs> kids are like, so you didn't like X of Swords? You were asleep. How did you know oh, that? I, I sound now. 
Um, you know what I will say when when they got to the tarot cards, I was like, oh fuck me. You know why I did like about it? It was one page each. I was like, goo, get yeah, past this. True, true. All right. And then, but then there was a text page explaining more about it that didn't help. Uh, yeah, it, it, it literally just explained what we had just read, so I skipped that. And it was like these are the same things we just happened. I was hoping they go through the entire deck. I was like, do the whole deck, do it all. I'm not sticking with it as a thing where I'm reading all 22 chapters. They must be spread out in other books. Well, it's going through all the X-Books. There's like okay. eight X-Books. It's um, interesting because if they're doing 22, then maybe are they going to have a specific order? Like each book will be like, this is five sure, of 22. I mean, yeah, 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 for sure. That's I'm good. sure, I'm That's... sure there's, a check, there's a checklist in the back. Well, there's always a checklist, but it's never very clear like which part fits where. So if that's a thing that they're going to do, I can applaud that at least. I mean, this is an X-Men event. Mm-hmm. It just seems odd to me that they don't. they wouldn't want to try to pull in other people who maybe were casual fans. So chapter two, yeah, it's got in the back. It says what chapters they are. Mm-hmm. It says you know the chapters here the, the issues are here say we well that man can make a chart he's a great designer so x factor wolverine i'm reading three of the four first chip part i'm probably i might just skip those issues i might just skip them i haven't decided yet i think hickman knows what's up <laughs> he's like i, I, all, it's I all know you gobbledygook man <laughs> you you don't like his style I and i totally to. understand i understand why you don't like it i have been on both sides of the coin. I really, mm-hmm. really liked some of his stuff. I thought his Fantastic Four was great. I thought his Secret Warriors was great. Um, I, I didn't like his Avengers, and that was I'd stopped. I dropped Avengers for the first time in like twenty years. Oddly, his. a lot of those characters ended up being in like the movies and stuff, right? Which is interesting. Anyway, let's move on. What was your favorite book of the week? Before we move on to emails, I don't think that I've finished enough. I read like half of them. You were surprised I didn't find something that blew my socks off. Was something something that blew your socks off that you read? I don't think I would say that something blew my socks off, but I enjoyed stuff. I enjoyed like Doctor Doom. I yeah. enjoyed Deceased is always interesting. I actually, I kind of liked Shazam. I didn't, which read I, it. I hadn't expected to. You know, it's a little like the movie, but it, it's basically Shazam goes and he's in he's in Japan or whatever, and he. he punches the head off a monster and then he has to go to the school the next day and and the teacher just gives him a ton of shit about something and he's like why do we have to learn all this and then that night he goes into a burning building and he's it's his teacher who's lost everything and he's as shazam and so he he goes to take care of her and he goes out he goes out to dinner and the teacher tells him everything that's gone wrong with her life and all this stuff, and he's like, "Oh man, I don't know what to do." And they did do a really good job of writing him, not like an adult, but as a kid who's trying to act seeing like seeing your teacher as a human. It's always yeah. And then he kid. goes back in the next day, and and he's like, you know, as as Billy again, he has to pretend that he didn't know her. It was sweet. It was actually really. It was it was. Uh, I was kind of surprised because I didn't know what what to Qu- make of it. Quick aside for you, I'm just curious, before you get the emails. You grew up in a much smaller town than I did. Yes. Did you see your teachers out in the wild? I don't remember that. If I did, it would be like occasionally. You know, like like every once in a while, I would, hey, there's Mrs. So-and-so. But mm-hmm. in general, even though I grew up in a small, I hate running into people. Well, in just in general. Wild. like No, no, like, yeah, no, like anyone I know out in the world, I don't like, you know, because <laughs> I just want to be. That's one of the things. I love living in the city for that. Like in the city, well, you're always anonymous. So if you have small talk, it's it's quick and it moves on. You're not going to get stuck. Mm. Except for that small amount of time when we were doing the video show and we're relatively well known, and it couldn't <laughs> happen at any time, and it would sometimes. Let's do the emails. We told you to write in at contact.ifanboy.com, and you did, and we thank you. And again, as always, we removed the platitudes in the emails, but we read them all and were the heartfelt, and they move us. So thank you for all that. 
I appreciate also everyone who took the time to write how much time they've been thinking about their email. That's always appreciated as well. It's nearly expected at this point. So we're going to kick off the show, as we almost always do, because he's a quick emailer, with Nick P. from Newport Beach, California, who's currently living in Luxembourg, making that banking money, I assume. By the way, Nick, you know any uh, eccentric billionaires in Luxembourg? Let's get to yes. the email. There's, there's like eight people in Luxembourg, <laughs> and six of them are millionaires. It's I've been the there. Electricity, I don't know, but... I went there when I was a kid. I didn't realize mm-hmm. where I was. All right. Amazing waffles. Nick P. says... I love to hear the stories about Connor and Ron going through and selling their comic collections. We know Josh hasn't done quite the same thing as he has ample space in his murder basement. My question now is about trades, hardcovers, other collected editions. I myself never collected a large amount of single issues when I was younger, and I only ended up with a couple of short boxes worth. I started seriously reading and collecting mostly with trades and other collections. At this point, I have over 450 various collected editions, such as trades, hardcovers, absolutes, omnibuses, etc. I assume you all have also acquired a large collection. I know you are all digital on issues, but would, have you reached a point where you no longer buy physical collected editions either? Are you planning on thinning your collected editions, or have you done so already? If you have, or you will, how will you decide what goes and what stays? So this is interesting, because you, as I, as I know you, mm-hmm. uh, are a pretty regular trade collection buyer for a long time. And I know that you kept it up a lot longer than me, and I'm, I don't know where you're at now. <sighs> yes, where I'm at now is that I tend to buy archive editions. So what I mean by that is older stories that I want to have on my shelf. I'm I'm less about buying series in trade and, and getting the next volume that comes out. I, I sort of far, fall off them. Yeah, the sense. ones we've been following ended. Invincible ended. Uh, Walking Dead ended. The switch to digital helped me stay on issues more. Oddly enough. Because sure. part of the reasons why I, I read on, in trade because I didn't like having the comics around, the single comics. So I just got a giant shipment the other day. I bought, I have almost all the Batman Golden Age omnibuses, all eight volumes. I've got a Nightwing. Not yet. That's a, that's I, like I look your, through them. I do look through them. for uh, someday when I, retirement, which is, but I do look through them. They're fun to leave through. Nightwing year one hardcover, the Robin Bronze Age omnibus. When we read something and really love it, I buy it. Like, I have Superman Smashes the Clan over there. I have Batman Universe. I have Superman Up in the Sky. Like, you know, Mr. Miracle. Things that we read recently that I think are really, really great. I buy those uh, in collection, and I buy so I've got, like, a literally a six-and-a-half-foot stack of DC omnibuses. That they've, been putting, they've been putting out the Silver Age, Bronze Age, and Golden Age collections, and I have tons of those. So you're clearly going for, like, the archivist library model. I like that I can theoretically have all the batman golden age books you know i have almost all they're they're like three years short of finishing the golden age run they're probably one one so or two more volumes when does 50, that end okay, 53 57 it's one of those so is that like the same time that like the flash yeah whenever the flash whenever barry shows up at the start of the silver okay. age do the comics noticeably change so like, like if you're reading mm, batman no. it's not like there's okay. a flip it's not like a switch that's, it's not like a flip they, they, didn't, they didn't reboot yeah When's the last trade you bought? That Jack Kirby, Tom Scioli book, hmm. which is unusual for me. I actually don't buy a lot of books. I mean, the, the fact is what you just said was sort of it. For a long time, especially when we were doing the shows and all the stuff, and we were, like I was buying all the comics that I wanted. And I, the idea has always been like, I don't just collect runs because I know I probably won't run them, but I would go after, read them. Uh, I would go after things that I really loved. But that kind of falls off because at a certain point, I sign, I kind of stop falling in love with stuff in the same way that I did earlier because earlier, it's hard to find something sort of new like that. The other thing that happened is 
you know, I have kids, I am super busy and, and shit just piles up and I have so mm-hmm. many books. I have mm-hmm. so many books that are unread and, you know, I read comics. I read more comics than anything else. I do that every Wednesday. I read for hours and hours and hours. And so the idea of piling up more when I've got all these other sort of novels and other kinds of books, just other kinds of reading, not necessarily better or not, but I really enjoy that kind of reading. So I just, oh, I still, yeah, I still reading, but I, but I also know, you know, where we've been doing this show for 15 years. Like I don't read that stuff. It's just here. It looks awesome on the wall, but I don't read it. It's like when you've had a book for 10, 12 years and you haven't read it, I'm going to stop adding. And that's kind of where I got to, which is, so, you know, did you get rid of no. I, although, there have been times, and I think I might do this. I might cull, you know, I'm, something that seemed like it was going to be really important to me ten years ago. I might go. I'm, I'm not interested in this at all anymore. I, I've been, I have been calling stuff. I've been calling, you know, I give away at the end of the year to like charity. Well, I, yeah, I give it to the library, you know. But I'll like I, even even yesterday, I was on my couch because I saw um, behind me. People can't see anymore because it's dark, but mm-hmm. I have a like a display shelf, and I have a shelf for Wonder Woman, I have a shelf for Batman, a shelf for Superman. I was looking at a Superman shelf, and I was like, I, I kept that. Grant Morrison, New Fifty Two, Superman hardcover. Mm-hmm. I don't need that. Yeah, no, yeah, the, and there's like, a lot of stuff that at the time, well, that's really good. But okay, so let's look at Rucka and J.H. William the Third Batwoman. Right. That was amazing for the time. Am I ever actually going to pick that up and read it again? Am no. I going to read American Vampire again? No, mm. I'm I'm not, and yeah. and the fact is like I can take that stuff to the library, and maybe a kid will dig it or whatever. I'm right. gonna keep Born Again. I'm gonna keep. I've got, uh, you know, I here. I'm actually. Josh is going, moving his camera. I'm gonna narrate the, uh, this for the people. You know, the history of hip hop books. Those I keep. Yeah. Those I want. Uh, I've got Private Eyes up there. I've got. You sound some, yeah, like Phil Hartman and his canes on news radio. This yes. one I keep. This one displeases me. I just I watched before we started. I just watched uh, a news radio, and it was the one where Santa thinks he's going to kill Phil Hartman. It's just the best. By the way, be prepared to weep I like know. you've never wept when Phil Hartman dies on that show. I know. I know. I know. I'll just say one last thing. Because I know you don't necessarily buy things, I will send you things. Yes, and you just did, and it's one of the best books I've read in a long time. But I also have tons of you. You you are responsible for more unread material in this house than anybody is. Sure, sure, I, I mean. I'm always sending like what I think is. Oh, I know. Terrific. I, no, no. You are the you understand my taste better than anybody in the world, and so I know if you send me something that it's going to be something that I will love, and that is. We're talking around talk about it in the book explode, but I finished reading that, and I was like, "Holy shit!" The next morning, I yeah. sent it to you and our buddy Hank because he loves that author right, artist and he also loves basketball Oops. well it also but even just prose books i have a lot of prose books that you've sent me and i'm, okay. I'm slow i'm still reading the patriarch i'm still reading it though oh, it's it, it is no it's act it's the, you know the other day somebody patriarch is a, a biography connor talked about it years ago on the all, all media show and it's a it's a biography of joseph kennedy and then just the other day somebody was like well we all know that he was a bootlegger i was like we do not know that actually you're wrong yeah, actually, this is a great segue into Scott H. from Portland, Oregon, who says, "What are some of the best media recommendations, comics, TVs, movies, etc., you've ever gotten from each other?" So that's a great segue, Josh. It is. I mean, when I, when I met Connor, it was in my period of I never watched TV. I didn't really watch very much, though. Like Connor was the reason why I started watching Oz, which was like the first great golden age TV, not golden age, but whatever the new golden age of TV, yeah. uh, and like that. That show really kicked everything off in terms of sort of the new style of television. And Connor was like, you have to watch this. And it was the most fucked up thing I've ever seen. Still true. 
yeah, Madmen ER. Yeah, Madmen's a good one. ER, sort of. Like I knew about it. I knew right, you yeah, but like that, liked it. Yeah, you you got me. I mean, you beat me and got me on the wire on the shield. Mm-hmm. Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar was that you and you and Ron or I don't remember. Who knows? But definitely the wire and the shield. So like mm-hmm. the those right there. You were on the you were ahead of the West Wing. I don't think you got me to watch it, but a lot of times they'll, I will. No, no, I remember. I remember you were at my desk mm-hmm. at that stupid desk by the door, and you was like, "I need a new show. What should I watch?" And I was like, "You have to watch the West Wing." Mm-hmm. Yeah, you would okay, love that, it. That makes sense. But a lot of times it will be like Connor will watch something, and I will finally get to it. He doesn't say anything, and I'll just be like, "Hey, did you watch Trust?" And he's like, yeah, "It was great." I was like, "Oh," and so I will start talking about it as if he's still watching it, even though he watched it two years ago. The, the expanse somebody just mentioned in the chat you guys were on top of that and i finally and i knew that you'd mention it or whatever but like a, a year ago or less probably i was like i, I need something else to read i just need it because i had an audiobook creditor and you were like do the expanse and i was like okay and it was like poof, all in well, you wanted a, you wanted like a long series that yeah. would really take up time I, um, I love long form stories stories i mean that's just that's my favorite thing and that was perfect for that where you're following characters over a long arc and they get to develop not like comic books but you know like in in tv shows and novels where they actually you also got me on sopranos so like even if i just took those three shows the wire the shield and the, the sopranos and you only recommend shows that start with the with that's your cool. thing i only um, watch shows that start with the homicides the, another one Connor those, yeah. so three of the best shows of the last 20 years so books books are i feel like we do read a lot of the same books i don't know we, who we, started we reading I don't know who started reading uh, Neil Stevenson first. I feel like it was me because you, my, I read Snow Crash soon after college. Yeah, me too. I think we started sort of reading it yeah. by osmosis at the same time. I think so. I think that was the thing that was happening. But um, it was you who would be like, no, no, read Diamond Age next. Like, yeah. Even though we both are big fans, you would be like, no, read this, read this one next because I really right. loved it. And, and I was yeah. like, oh, I was going to read that one. Okay, I'll read the Diamond Age. That was like a very similar. But we we both. In terms of book reading, book readings, book readings, we like the same things. We like history books. We like biographies. Yeah. You know, we like Neil Stevenson, which I was gonna, he's not really a genre. So, like, I know if I can, if I really love the World War II book, I can send it to Josh. I know he'll like it, or he'll yeah. at least find it interesting. Like, I, I'm still thinking about Blitzed. Oh my god! Every time I, I watch something about time. the war and they don't mention drugs, uh-huh. I'm like, you guys are missing out. On like a huge aspect of the whole this. point. What's going on with Hitler? I know exactly what's going on with Hitler. <laughs> Why did the Blitzkrieg work? They were all on crystal meth. <laughs> they ran across Europe without sleeping. Perverted. Like, like that's like every, now, like, like literally, I stumbled on Ken Burns's The War last night, and oh, wow. I was watching it. They're talking about Hitler's crazy plan to r- run through the Ardennes forest, and I was like, yeah, because he was on meth and cocaine and heroin. And heroin. But like no one knows about that book because it was this mm. German guy who found all the record. Anyway, we could talk about Blitz for the next hour and a half. Let's not do that. Let's move on to the next question. You read. Blitz. I just you know, the same guy invented heroin and aspirin <laughs> in the same week, eleven days apart. Cheers, guy, German oh, guy. No shit. So Rashad B. Didn't he used to play for the Blazers? No, that was not B. How do you think Rashad Wallace? That's who I was thinking of. It's not even the same first name. How do you think or want the MCU to introduce mutants? How much incontinuity are Netflix shows? A lot of people seemingly miss the introduction of mutants and a kind of reference to Professor X and the X-Mansion in Jessica Jones Season 2. 
Jessica and her mom got her powers through genetic experiments, and it was revealed that they were doing these experiments on people for decades. That is the explosion of the mutant gene in the Ultimate Universe. So when Jessica and her mom were on the run, the cops figured out that they were heading towards Westchester County, New York, and that they wonder who she could know or seek refuge from in that area. I feel like I'm the only one who noticed that and put it all together, but I could be wrong. Wakanda forever. Absolutely. Uh, you might be the only one who watched Jessica Jones season two. Did I watch it? I think I did. I did watch it. That was with Hellcat. Yeah, I did watch it. Yeah. I don't remember much about it. I think you probably have been the only one who put it together. And I th- it seems like that's more of like a nice nod because at the time there was no sign that the X-Men were going to come back to Marvel. So how in continuity are they? They are as in continuity as the people making movies want them to be, which is and probably not. not much. Yeah. I mean, it's my understanding. I'm not an insider. I know some who have, but it turns out that the insiders I know are sort of more mum than I would like them to be. But it's you know it's my idea that the, the MCU TV and the MCU movies were not really all that interconnected. And no, I had a friend who no longer works there, and this but used to work there, and used to yeah. tell me stuff. The TV and the movies side hate each other, and yeah, so yeah. that's why there was no crossover, and that's why Shield was basically written out of the movies once the TV show happened. That's why Daredevil was never ever going to be in the, in the V Avengers. And that's frankly like. That all has to be cutesy, nudge, nudge, wink, wink stuff because they don't have the rights to do the mutants. So they could only, you know, I think it was just a. Yeah. And so that's a cutesy thing, which they could take, but they won't because in the, in the Hollywood hierarchy, movies continue to sit on top no matter what, even though financial reasons they may, they maybe shouldn't be, but they will, they will until something drastically changes. They'll sit on top, which means the movie people can make any decision they want, which means they will ignore that to their leisure. And they'll do whatever mm-hmm. they want to add to X-Men to the universe. Now, I don't know how they're going to do it. I haven't thought about it. I have no preference. What it is lucky for them is that, you know, they ran their course with the Avengers. They weren't going to recast those characters. They're not going to live on Shang-Chi and Doctor Strange forever. So how do you do it? You start over with the X-Men and the Fantastic Four, and you, you can introduce a whole slate of new characters and, and tell those stories. Can you imagine so they, how great a Fantastic Four movie could be? I'm really I'm hoping it is because yeah. it's a great concept that just has so not been. been. Davin P in episode 746. You briefly touched on the subject of job roles in the comics industry, but I'm wondering if you could explain in a bit more detail what specifically does the editor in chief do? What about an assistant or associate editor? How about the publisher? Pretty much every title that I see on a title page is meaningless besides the creators making the book. I've been thinking about this every day since August 30th. <laughs> Every day. Uh, I think there are some basics about it, but I also think that it's like any job that you, any organization that you go to is that, uh, you know, outside of some sort of very specified things, those roles can be pretty flexible depending on what it is and what the strengths of the people are. So I know, let's go and start with editors because editors are sort of the main uh, conduit between the creative and, and publishing. Editors can be all over the map. I mean, largely their job is to put together the projects, you know, make sure that there's a writer and an artist and and all the other people to make the comic book and shepherd the story in a way that agrees with the company's, uh, you know, what, what the company's sort of goals and direction is. And that's the basic of it. Now, after that, it can change around a lot depending on the organization, the creators involved, the editor themselves, whether how sort of creatively involved they get. Some people don't have anything to do with it creatively and they let, you know, they, they, they just 
take notes on it technically and go through it and, and set things. There's other people, you know, there's, a, I've heard a lot of dudes complain that about editors who really want to be writers and weren't, you know, and so they try to sort of shove themselves into every part of the story. And how many editors do we know that became writers? You know, I mean, many of them. I mean, many of the best, you know, like Mark Wade is the first guy who came to mind. Mark Wade, Mark Wade I don't know if people know this, but like Mark Wade is listed as an editor on The Watchmen. Like, I don't I, like yeah. which which kind of blows my mind. There's there's a lot of guys who, who come from that way. Peter Tomasi. You um, have to to have the skills of a writer to be an editor. You I have to. That's true. I, I just it is, it, it's, on, it's 100% true in the comics industry. As, as someone, who, someone who published comics mm-hmm. and has talked a lot of them, you, you have to be able to. First of all, a lot of stories are set by the editors and they're handed to the writers. Mm-hmm. They're outlined by the editors. It's just, yeah, that's but, just but the that'd way. Be like that's in one type of comics, whereas over in like a smaller. Well, we're not talking about smaller. I mean, he's not okay, talking about smaller. About, that's sure. fine. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, and then you've got an associate editor who probably takes on many or only some of those duties, you know, to help out the editor who's there. It might be really sort of clerical, you know, grunt work stuff, but it might be, you know, call this guy, see where the pages are, you know, and th- so there's, there's the other part of it, is it all the machinations of sort of getting this stuff in and hitting deadlines and making sure that they go to production in the right way, you know, and, and, and get out on time. There's a lot, you know, the editors and associated editors are the, are the people who, I mean, they're like associate producers of TV. Like there's these people out there who do all of the work and it's so much work uh, and they're unsung for it. Um, I, I, that's why I tend to picture. Yeah. So, from the top down, the publisher does the creative and business aspect of the entire line they're published. They're doing so, like they decide how many books are being published, what uh, the budget is how many books. Yeah, like, what's going to be an ongoing series versus what's going to be a mini series? What trades are going to come out? Are there hardcovers? Like they're sitting at the forty thousand foot level, of deciding all the business aspects of the line. Um, the publisher is. You just said that. I'm saying the publisher is still involved in creative decisions, but it's it's mostly about the business. You know, like mm-hmm. for Marvel or DC, it's like, oh, there's a movie, there's a Harley Quinn movie coming out. Let's make sure we've got a Harley Quinn miniseries yeah. that month. So there's that kind of thing. The editor in chief is more on the creative side, working with the publisher, um, figuring out that line wide sort of direction, the voice of the whole thing, figuring out which creators to use on which you know books, big picture stuff. All the editors feed up to them, and they're sort of overseeing the big picture of. In Marvel and DC, the shared universe situation. And a lot editor- of times, it, it's that person's sort of creative push that is sort of yeah. driving everything one way or the other. They're they're sort of setting the tone uh, in, in that way. But again, you know, all of that stuff is really really variable. You know, like uh, who know? I don't I don't understand how it worked at DC at all. I don't know what Bob Harris did in one single capacity. I've never heard his name come up in any way, other than the mention that he was still there. Whereas like all you in, heard is that. Dio doing the, pu- the yeah, editor in chief. Dio was functioning as the editor in chief, as far as I could tell, from sort of who knows. Yeah, yeah, that's what it seemed like. Um, and you're, I mean, usually editors that the big two oversee like a line of books. Like you know, one guy will see all the Spider-Man books, one guy will see all the mm-hmm. Superman books. So they, they coordinate the all those. Yes and no. The same guy will edit almost all the books from the mm-hmm. line. Like Nicolo does all the Spider-Man books. Yeah, um, but he's got like the people probably working individually. So like he's the manager, and then there's district managers and they're doing all they're doing the overall editing they're doing the the story make sure all the stories work together and, and creative teams and then they, as you said the assistant editor the associate editor is doing like the day-to-day trafficking and then in make, between there you'll have where like, are the pages get those pages to the colorists get them to the publisher that's what the associate editor does and these these names are all little you know interchangeable to a little so then above them sometimes between editors and editor in chief will be an executive editor like a tom brevoort person you know and yeah and they, that, that, 
it's all wonky because they yeah. got to make up titles for people than ever ever. That pretty much, and then the colorist colors the comics. So there's that. <laughs> you need to read the next one. John L. says, It feels like we're transitioning to a new era in comics that might have a historical impact like we haven't seen since the launch of Image. All right, I'm willing to follow along with you here, but so far I'm not with you. If the big two truly pulls back and focuses on A-list books, it could create a vacuum that gets filled by indie publishers and creators. It reminds me of the of Amazon crushing Borders and Barnes and Noble, which has created a small resurgence for indie bookstores who serve niche audiences after the big boxes are shuttered. Creators turning to Kickstarter and Indiegogo look like they'll be having incredible success during the upheaval at DC and Marvel. Sly Stallone and Keanu Reeves are are even I jumping love in. Sly. Yeah, not Sylvester Stallone. Frank Stallone are jumping in now, and I kind of love it. If midlist creators and people trying to break in can't get published by the big two anymore, I want them to have options. Sure. I sure. want them to have that too. I mean, it's not really a question here. Yes, I think options are good. I think where I have a problem is when publishers use Kickstarter and Indiegogo. That's not why those were designed. They were not designed to offset risk from publishers. They were designed to give people, like John talks about, who have no other option of publishing a, a place to publish. Or to fund their work. Kickstarter wasn't created so that Image could offset its risk on Scott Snyder's book. Or Archie could do that a few years ago. That's not why Kickstarter was is around and should be around. There's, it's, 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 I think it's bullshit when the, when the publishers use, it, I, use this one. Yes. I also think that it, under, it, it belies an, an underlying issue is that the quote-unquote established publishers feel like that's a thing they might have to do sometimes. Like that there's it's sort of the, the ground is not as secure under them as otherwise but to uh, honestly to to kickstart a book that keanu reeves is involved with is ridiculous yeah that's that, boom I, I don't think boom should be doing it either no i know i agree it, it just uh, to me it's it's a bad look now i think that people are starting to look at it as more as a pre-selling method yeah i don't like it i don't like it because it's under the auspice even if they're doing it that way which is you know fine it's a business practice but like that's a space that people have it's like there's the farmer's market and then the Albertsons chain comes in to sell their onions there. It's like, no, right. no, this is That's for these people. So you need like, to stay out of this. If the publishers want to start taking pre-order money, then start taking pre-order money. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about from like Diamond. I'm talking about if they want to go to come out to readers and say, hey, we're making a book next year with X, writer X and artist Y. Send us your pre-orders. Do that. But don't do it through Kickstarter. That's, that, then you're pushing out the people who need it, who actually have no other option. So getting that out of the way, a new era for comics? I don't think so. I think that there's a squeezing. No, I think it's a new era. It's just not in the way he thinks it is. It's a yeah, new era in the other. It, what it means is that those people will still be able to make those books, but they won't be able to make livings off of them. The people who are below. I mean, if you think about it, if Marvel and DC are going to squish their lines to just the sort of biggest chunks of it, that means there's less jobs. Mm -hmm. Is There's less jobs there. There's making less books, which means that comic stores are going to also make less money. And because they are making less money, they are not going to spend more money on things that they're not sure are going to sell. And so what that does, it doesn't leave room for lower tier characters. It squishes out their possibility to make any money from it. It's, it's antithetical. It's almost like comics does work as a trickle-down economy in a way. Um, because if, if they're not spreading the money around, then there's no money. And I, the, the idea of making a career as a, a comic book professional seems like it's going to get harder and harder. If you think that, you know, like if DC halves their line, that's, that's half, half the, the people out of, out of work. 
Like, and there's not a place to go that you're going to get paid a living wage at the extent that you would at Marvel or DC. I, I know because the pay, I know that the page rates at Dark Horse, Boom, Dynamite, they're much lower. They're considerably lower. And you can make a living, but you'd have to do several books. But there aren't several books now. And that, nope. it's bad. Now, artistically, creatively, money having nothing to do with it, great time. But, except you'd have to get noticed. And it, there's so much stuff that it's hard to get noticed, I think. Let's do Greg M. If I fanboy had had to rob a casino, <laughs> a la Ocean's Eleven, timely email, Greg. Who would have what role? I think that I would be one of the worst. You would be terrible burglars ever. You have, have to be like the guy who stays back. Who's the guy? Who's, who's the tech guy? Yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking. Linus? Like the sweaty. No, no Linus is Matt Damon. I no, wish I could guy. be Matt. Matt Damon. Linus was at least confident, but didn't act like it. But he was. Yeah, yeah the sweaty. He was very confident. Yes, he he was he was. I, I am competent. I just not at any of the things required to do a large scale burglary. Who are you? I don't. I, you're you're bad at lying. I'm the world's worst liar. There's no way you are actually in the. You're in the. You're back at the base coordinating computers, and oh shit, this guy's coming. You're mm-hmm. not at all the guy who has to go to the casino guard and be like, oh, I lost my badge. Mm-hmm. Let me in there, Bob. Like that. That's not you. No. Nope. Um, I get the, nervous just watching room, them. In the movies, in the chat room, they say you're you're the this is this will never work guy. This will never work. Oh, oh, I'm totally that guy. Um, the thing is, like, none of those sort of robbery crews need a guy who does commentary. <laughs> yeah, you're doing commentary. <laughs> you're on Twitch commenting on the heist. You're also a real good guy, and I mean that in the sort of classic sense, like you wouldn't rob somebody. And so it's difficult. Yeah, we're saying we have to, like we have to. He says we had right, to. So like, like somebody's in the hospital. Something's going to happen that's really bad if unless we rob this casino. And that you know, that I could do. I could do that. Like yeah, given, given the the sort of, uh, then I would then I would want to be Matt Damon because it's the best. Like I know I'm not Clooney or Pitt. I know I'm not going to pull that off. It's kind of funny. Like what did Clooney actually do in the first one? He had to get beaten up and taken, but like. In 13, he didn't really have anything to do. He like got the high rollers out. He's CEO. Yeah, he doesn't he, he doesn't the team really... together and 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 over over, you know. And he was working through the the, you know, like they'd say what the problem is and he would go, eh, "No, eh, yeah, that'll work." And then the less other people work it out. He's management. Day of his job in 13 was just sort of be in the casino. He's yeah, like he's, he's like a seen. decoy. Yeah. Well, he's too hot. I could be a decoy in multiple ways. I'll decoy the shit out of that. <laughs> You read the next one. Adrian Z asks, can Jean Grey operate a smartphone or tablet with her telekinesis? This is where we miss for having Ryan on the show. <sighs> uh, no? Well, is it a physical, the capacitance? Like, is there a physical component of that? There must be. I don't know. I mean, I know when you open the phone, it's reading your, like, the, the it's not your fingerprint so much as, like, it's, like, reading the heat like there's a bunch of components when you're uh, unlocking your phone so i don't know that she could unlock a phone because there's no like there's, the, there's no blood in the te- in her telekinesis touch pre- there's no there's not heat there's pressure pressure so like the like turn the the uh the the flashlight on on the screen she could press the button she could press the button right yep but not so i guess if she's if she's 
haptics. You could make it silent. What about operating a stylus? Hmm. Like if one of the Apple, the hundred dollar Apple pen, that would work. <laughs> have you seen those? They're cool. Uh, they'd have to be for a hundred bucks. My boss, my old job had one and it was awesome. I would never buy it myself, but I, I don't want to know because it was cool. I don't want to get to the point where, like, because right now I can look at it and go, that's ridiculous. There's no need you pay that. But I can very much see a thing where I would start playing with one and I go, oh, I get it. And then I would buy it. He's also a really good artist, so he would be sketching out things and it would work for him. But, like, there's no reason if you're not using that for that. There's no, no. You, you would have no reason to have one. No, I know. I have lots of things I have no reason to have. Uh, I have 11 guitars. Well, you, you can play them. That's true. Why am I so blown out right now? Um, dark. I just you know, I just lowered the light way down. It's so weird. Alexa, turn the lights off. Um, oh, so you got one of those. So you got you got Amazon listening to you. That's nice. Whatever. Um, I know everything anyway. Here we go. Here is the next email. Where are we at? Pete F from San Diego, San Diego, California. During lockdown, I've been rereading a lot of old favorites, and I noticed something. There are a lot of great stories where main characters were either partially or totally dicks. Tony Chu. Mark Grayson, Jesse Custer, Thor Odinson, John Constantine. So is the story better when the lead kind of sucks, but the supporting cast is amazing, or is it just a coincidence of a good character arc? Been thinking about this since lockdown started, so 25,000 equivalent years. Bravo. <laughs> was Mark Grayson an asshole? I think by the end he kind of was, because his dad was an asshole. But, it, I mean, the, 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 the real answer to me is that, to me, like... The characters can be dicks as long as there's a heart underneath it. So the thing about John Constantine is that he's absolutely awful, but he's he is trying to do the right thing in the best way that he can, but he's useless at doing it. There's a heart underneath it. Tony Chu's kind of the same way. Although I will say the more that I've spent time with Tony Chu, I'm like, I don't really like him. He's really? just very uptight. He's, you know, like uh, he's got a he's got a rough life. Jesse Custer's not a dick. He's a Jesse Custer is the the best friend you'd ever want to have. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I wouldn't. More with me. I don't think Jesse Custer was a dick at all. Thor's I, thing is, he's a totally fun guy, but he's got so much responsibility that he has to ignore it and and be hard assed because that's his position. Those guys aren't dicks. I think. I think the thing stories that are about like people who are generally awful don't work for me. I mean, Tony Soprano, uh, Walter White, the entire modern TV era is predicated Don Draper. The entire it's predicated yeah, but, around assholes. There has to be another. There has to be another part of it. So, Tony Soprano is awful, but the fact is, the guy, or at least the actor playing him, has some sort of charm or charisma to him, so that you're watching and and like you, like for him, for example, you want to root for him for some reason, and that's the. It's the same thing with um Vic Mackey or something like that. You. Like you find your, you know they're awful, they're objectively awful, but you keep finding yourself rooting for them, for some reason that is, I think, indefinable. But well, they let you down. We all, like, we all like the asshole because we all want to be the asshole. So we like heroes. We want to be one of the reasons. Tell our boss to go fuck off. So it's one of the reasons I actually don't like Breaking Bad all that much. Like it's a really good show. I watched all of it. I was into it, but like, what's his name? Uh, the, Walter White. Walter White. Yeah. I had a really hard time finding anything I liked about that guy. Like at a certain point, like why is he just doing this? Whereas like Tony Soprano has this little element that like he kind of wants to be a good person. You can tell, but he can't do it for all sorts of reasons, and that's interesting. Right. I'm what's a show where like somebody is objectively awful that you could watch that person as the main character? I mean, even Archie Bunker, 
works because underneath all of that crap, he's, he's still a sweetheart. Uh, I mean, but like the Donald Trump. That's the only Curb enthusiasm. I can't watch Curb Enthusiasm. I love that show. I, Again, you, uncomfortable. you like him because he's the guy that says the things you don't get to say. And sometimes that's funny, but I feel like that there has to be for it to really be successful and not just super niche. Like there has to be kind of a heart underneath it. Most of the time, it's not not a hard and fast rule. I don't know. I mean, I think I think so, but also like Tony Soprano might have had a heart, but he was still a murderer. I know, but that but that's the that was that was the that was the, like the the dramatic tension of it is that he'd keep breaking your heart because he's a sociopath, and and like that was what his family was going through or the people around him. Like mm-hmm. that was the thing that was funny about that. Uh, not funny, but that's the thing that's. I've thought about this a lot because I've watched through that show a bunch of times. So, and again, it's the same thing with Vic Mackey. Like they're bad. They're bad people. The characters in Seinfeld is in the chat room. Ricky Gervais on The Office. Ricky Gervais on The Office is is a tragic character. He really does want to. The be always sunny character. The always sunny characters. Good luck finding any of the redeeming qualities in them. No, that's true. But also, I don't watch those things because of the the narrative structure and the character base. That shit's just real funny. <laughs> no, those. I mean, those are good examples. Like it has to be really good to get away with it. I think. Let's do uh, the next. Daniel. Daniel C. Number Daniel nine. Daniel C. from Texas. Yep. Partly out of desire to support artists, but admittedly more out of deeply ingrained habit, I still buy my music instead of just streaming it. Am I just being a Luddite, or is there something different about owning an album instead of just having access to it? Didn't we just talk about this in the media explode? We in the media explode, you talked about it. Not exactly like, but yes. Okay. Yeah, you're what's not, your feeling on that? You're not a Luddite. I only stream music in my car. My car has streaming channels. So that's the only time I stream music. Otherwise, I listen to either my albums on vinyl or what I have on my iTunes, which I which I have. I mean, but, but does streaming does he mean like streaming, streaming, like Spotify? I, I mean, I think he just means digital music. So when he says okay. buy his music, I assume that means CDs. <laughs> I buy songs one-offs digitally, usually for the show. Really? But every once in a while, I buy songs I, that I've heard I like on like Amazon. But for the most part, 90% of my music buying is the vinyl albums. Okay. If you're a Luddite, so am I. Well, I mean, have you met Connor? There's no point in CDs to me at all because no. the quality... It, 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 a, no, CD, no, no. a CD is a digital file. It's exactly the same thing that you would either download and keep on your phone or do whatever. I spent a long time not subscribing <laughs> to a digital service. But when I started subscribing to Apple Music, I finally got to get all the things that I could never buy, you know, and I could be like, oh, this is music I've always wanted to check out and always listen to. It made my life immeasurably better. And then the thing that happens with me is I will listen to streaming, you know, like, you know, I have, I have unlimited data. I can listen to whatever I want whenever. I can download stuff to my phone locally. I can listen to everything I want. I know it's not the best thing for artists, but also they signed up. So I'm going to let them sort that out. But when there's stuff that I love, when I want to actively listen to something, records have become extremely important to me. And that is a different thing than the digital file that a CD has or, you know, like, you know, whatever it is. For me, just like the method of CDs doesn't make sense. Because right. it's just this thing. Well, I mean, yeah. And, uh, it doesn't need to exist. or my old, my old car had a CD player. because it was Mine still CD. does, but. So I, would, I bought occasionally a couple of CDs just to have. I have a wallet of like 20 CDs that I've owned for, you know, the last CD I bought was in 2005 and I keep it in my car in case for some reason I lose access to all that stuff, but it, it doesn't happen much. And I've done like uh, a B with it just cause I was, you know, like I have the yep. CD and I put the, and it was like the difference was not measurable 
vinyl, there's a difference. I'm in my office. Uh, you know, I have two big six inch, you know, woofer speakers pointed at my head for when I work. I've got a record player with the whole setup. You know, it's not super expensive, but you can feel it and hear it. And it's amazing. And also, I love that tactile thing. And I love that that money is going directly to the artist. But yep. I don't buy every record. Like, I, a record has to be something special for me to want to make it part I'm, of the collection. Like the books. I'm lucky in that. Lucky for my, like, wallet and everything. Is that I have a cabinet that has my record player in it. And it has two slots for records. Mm-hmm. And once that's filled, that's it. No more records are allowed. <laughs> so they have to really be good. Now I got around this by saying we have to take the Christmas albums out, put them in a Christmas box, put those away with the Christmas stuff. So that that freed up like this much space in the. So, but like, there's a rule: no more records once that records or spots are filled. So I have to really like the album I'm buying to to buy it. But I, I buy that. I still buy them regularly. I have one. You know, I just bought one recently. The thing about records is, like, yes, it does sound better, but I don't think that's what it's about. Like, for me, I have this very specific memory of, like, go. it, it feels just like looking for back issues. And I don't <laughs> want to do that anymore because I have access to all it. But, like, when you make the music into a ritual, one of the problems with streaming with digital yeah. comics, too, to a certain extent, is just too much. You can't ever yeah. make a decision. Well, it's like, like TV. You have to invest and commit to something to play a record. You have to be there. You kind of can't <laughs> ignore it. You know, and you also have to buy a record that you're going to want to play the whole record. Exactly. You can't um, just yeah, buy yeah. a record that has one good song on it. You have to find you an album that you like the whole. Pain in the ass. Sure, but you have, you yeah. really, at least for me in my limited space, it's got to be an album that it's going to be. I'm going to listen to the entire thing. Someone just said that I'm a collector, and it's not true. Actually, I'm a, a very compulsive buyer. I have to stop myself from buying everything because I, I guess that makes me a collector in a way. So I have yeah. to very carefully curate because i can't go to shows that's what i did that's what i did for fun my thing for fun would be to go to rock shows that's what i did that's the thing that my therapist was like keep doing that because that seems to make you happy and because i haven't been able to go to a show in six months i've got a shitload of records and like i'm buying them from europe now like it's i'm gonna support kid keith in the chat room who you chagrined and is now feeling bad that that you said that he is 100 a collector whether he understands it or not there's nothing wrong collecting things there's nothing wrong with it physically like i don't want to have that much i know that i won't stop yeah you have a lot of albums how many albums do you have top of your head i don't i mean for a while it wasn't more than 50 but then in the last you know year six months it's exploded i'm probably you know a couple hundred few hundred or something like that now like i have a I have a few shelves downstairs that have records on them and I have a small box here that I keep in my office to sort of, I bought a lot of records since this pandemic thing's happened. Row P from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, eh? Three, uh, two questions. Uh, one, mm-hmm. I have been thinking about that for about six months. Is there a pick of the week that you have reread and regretted making the pick of the week? Let's just, no, no, I, I can't think of any books that I've gone back and. That's a secret question about your scalp pick. <laughs> um, no. Two, uh, I've been thinking. No, I, just because it, it's pretty transitory. <laughs> I've been thinking about this for three months. How many patron picks that you said you would keep reading are you still reading? <laughs> I don't have any way to keep track of that. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. Here's here's the only thing that would make that not happen is that with the influx every Wednesday or Tuesday and Wednesday of all the stuff, there's a really good chance that I could miss something because I will have completely forgotten about it unless I notice that cover. Yeah. I I just have no idea what we've said we would keep reading or not keep reading. Someone asked if that wasn't also Batman Robin a pick of the week. That was Jacorio. And the, the answer is yes. And it was an ironic one from Josh. 
Josh picked it ironically way back then, and I picked it for real. But I would then, on the other side, I, I wouldn't regret that now. Now, knowing what I know now, knowing you sure. know, no regrets. No, I, no, I don't. We're, we're, not, we're not regretters with this. But most of the time, if I say I'm going to read the next patron pick, well, I will. You know, it's because I like the thing. I mean, I, was, I'm not, I don't think we're very. Yeah, no, no one's lying. The only if I forgot, which yes. definitely could happen. Yeah, we're old and. But also, I usually keep up, but maybe later I stop. Maybe after two issues, I don't know. I don't keep track of this information. Yeah, Evan M. My favorite Batman villain is the Riddler. And while I enjoy certain appearances of his, I can't think of the definitive Riddler story that I would hand to someone to best represent the character. Who's your favorite Bat villain? And what would you consider to be the story arc that demonstrates why they are great? Ooh, that's a good question. Because I've spent the last two years complaining about the Joker, but my uh-huh. instinct was like, oh, the Joker. It's the yeah. Joker. It's a killing joke. Next. <laughs> that's my answer. Can I tell you something awful? Yeah. That's not awful. I have a cousin. He's That's not awful. We all have cousins. I know, but he's... He's pretty basic. If that gets the idea across. And he said something the other day about comic book movies. And it was like a civilian talking about comic book movies. And I don't like to get involved in that conversation. But one of his dimwit friends was like, you know what? Oh, it's like, what's your favorite Batman movie? And he's like, Batman Forever, man, because nobody owned the role of the Riddler like Jim Carrey. And I was like, I walked out of that movie. I left. First of all, I love this guy. I want to hang out with him. No, I'm sorry. I, I take it back. He says things like that. That's amazing. It wasn't Jim Carrey. It was. I'm sorry. I got it wrong. It was Tommy Lee Jones as Two Face. Okay. And I was like, I was face. take this that guy. Two Face at all? Yell Frank Gorshin in his face. Right. He thought Tommy Lee Jones was better than Aaron Eckhart. It's a, it's a, the point is like, there's no context. I thought, you know, I should tell this guy. What are you doing? <laughs> Don't do it. You know. It's, no, I know that. Like, you know. Uh, but it's it's taken decades of doing this to be able to know. Don't get into that conversation. It's pointless. No winning. Did, did you what, were you, what were you hanging out with your cousins? That was a Facebook post. Oh, okay. I did hang out with my cousin. So I wasn't really hanging out. I didn't say I was hanging out. I said I was. I saw. Should we call them up? Yeah, let's hear. Give him the link. Let's get him on the show. Talk about the Riddler. No. Okay. It was all. It was his friend who said that. So I'm matter. saying, killing joke, Joker. What are you saying? Best Batman villain definitive story. <laughs> I don't know that I have a best. I, I really don't have an answer because I Is don't. It man? It's not. Is it Egghead? No. I mean, can I say like Batman's own self-destructive nature? That's my favorite sure. Batman villain. It's true. Yeah. Like that's the thing. Like his hubris and his inability to sort of uh, come to terms with himself, and so he will Barring always. That, be your favorite Batman. is shame. Shame. I ha- I know I have some that I really like, but I can't. You know, like I find Mister Zaz terrifying. I love Mr. Zaz. Mr. Zaz is really cool. That first story that Norm Brayfogel drew in Batman Shadow of the Bat where they introduced Mr. Zaz. Yeah. That still haunts me because as a you know, was it whatever I was in high school when it came out, young high school, like you know, freshman. If I had to really think about it, I think Mr. Freeze, like the Batman animated series oh, kind of thing, is yeah. because he's so ambiguous, like he's not evil. He's he's, yeah, it is. Yeah. He would make a great character to to lead a golden age of tv show because his motives are sad yeah yeah andrew m of california let's say marvel and dc have asked you both to choose a writer slash artist pair from each company four people total this is getting more complicated to create a marvel dc crossover event what writer artist pair would you choose to represent each company if you wanted to highlight the top creators associated with each company from the last decade example would be Snyder slash Capullo to represent DC for example 
bonus question. I think you've used up your questioning, Andrew. <laughs> uh, pick two characters, one from Marvel and one DC, for one of the many one-shot issues this crossover is. I'm going to skip the bonus question. Okay. The main question is actually pretty simple. Who would you it say is. the writer-artist, not necessarily work together, but who's the writer-artist that best represents the last 10 years of Marvel and DC? Now, keep in mind, that means... 2010 and 2020, because I would have said Bendis, but he was tw- 2000 to 2010. Mm-hmm. He's not 2010 to 2020. Bendis yeah. is the definitive Marvel writer from 20, 2000 to 2010. Yes. Jeff Johns is the definitive DC writer from 2000 to 2010. Yes. The question is, who are the definitive writers? And for DC, that's basically the New 52 because it's, that's one year before the New 52. So it's who's been the definitive DC writer for the last 10 years? It's I have a very hard time with that question. I mean, you I could make say, a case for Tom King, but he's not populist. He's a uh, like a niche a prestige. He would, do, he would do what to me would be a fantastic Marvel DC crossover, but it would not be what the kids are looking for. It would be great. It would it would be about you know like. I think you have to say Snyder for DC. You have to because that Batman run sort of defined the company for however long it was. It's true. And then, is it us? So this is us not choosing somebody we would want to represent. No, it's just who was the character. The, the question is really, is, what right artist pair would you choose to represent Marvel and DC if you wanted to hi- highlight the top creators associated with each company? So you have to pick the top creators associated with each company from the last decade. So it's really that's really the question. So who's the guy at, at it's is Marvel? It, is it Jason Aaron? I mean, last ten years, Avengers, Thor, Avengers. I mean, is it Dan Slott. We talked about this like for whatever reason avengers leaves no blip on the radar it's an it's in stealth mode people don't even know it gets published thor it's was valuing right now thor was really great but like was thor the book that you think of defined marvel for the last i'm not saying it's not i'm just trying to think of i don't even know what book it is so here's the thing the movies define marvel the books didn't define marvel the publishing line took a backseat to the the movie line at least the main thrust of publishing. You're having Kevin Feige write that book? Yes. I mean, if, <laughs> if you're looking at it that way, if you take a 20-year view, it changes the conversation a little bit. But, you know, no, 20-year view is Bendis, no problem. It's without yeah. a doubt, yeah. Yeah, Bendis and Johns. It's, and then, all right, so let's, I mean, Jason Aaron is the best answer I can come up with for that. Yes, although I just don't know that Thor was pervasive. And I didn't like, you know, you don't think of. No. I think of Thor amongst the best comics of the last, however long but i don't know that thor defined the company for the last 10 years. i know but the, the i mean the point is there isn't so you got to pick the best it's either him or dan slot you know it's not matt fraction nope you know what this reflects is the thing we've been talking about is that there are no superstars no in the last 10 years so especially for artists though it's not capullo i think he's niche and he's only associated with one character it's not niche, but he's only associated with one character not niche but like it's it's like having ivan reese or 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 gary frank or yeah yeah you can make a case for gary frank he's done a lot of prestige books there are fewer superstar artists than there are writers i mean if i had to pick a guy like who should be the guy who does this i'd say doc shaner but that's not you know you know what i mean he's on his first high profile book right now which artist at marvel is setting the tone that's a because i john carter pepe laras yeah, exactly. I mean, like, it's the, the age of the superstars over, man. Yeah, what's when you think of a Marvel book, what are you seeing in your head? You know, for a while at, at Marvel, it was like Mike Diodato. Like, that was the guy. Now I think of, um, 
Oh fuck. Um, yeah. The, the, opposite yeah, the, previous, of, yeah. the previous decade. Who's the Spider-Man artist? Who's the the alternate for um, Otley? Um, the guy. You, you, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, I can't think of it. Like Bagley? Like the Met. No, 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 no. I mean, it's it's amazing. Like we can't think of of who those people are because well, they're not. They're not, and the, and the companies don't want them. No, they don't. They don't. They want the characters to be the draw, which they it's are. How much? You know what? Stegman is probably. I don't know if he defined the company. Ramos. He's terrific. He's terrific. But I don't know. He, if he is, but him. like I feel like they want him. But you know, like yeah. Look at he I mean, like they're all great artists, but no one is defining the the company. No one's making everyone go, "Holy shit!" You know, this is the guy who's changed everything going forward. No one is McFarlane in nineteen eighty whatever. Umberto Ramos. That's who I was thinking of. That's the best I got. got a guy in like his late fifties. I know. I mean, but there's no, there isn't a guy like that. There is people who set the time. I mean, I, you know, you know, I, I hate to mention his name a second time, but you know, Vance Giver was that in the two thousands. It was like this yeah. is the guy who is DC Comics art. You know, for that period of time that he was, or you know, before that, Ed McGinnis was the guy. He's been that for both. Jock is not the guy setting the DC tone. Like no, not at all. Them. You know, right now, Im- I mean, Eminem. There's a lot of people. It's tough, man. There isn't a name. Eminem retired. Like you need to pick. If you're asking, like, probably, you know, like going forward, I think Donny Cates probably not the whole decade, but in the past, and for Mark Wade actually has done a lot of great work in Marvel over the past ten years. Sure, uh, he's but another like- guy. Is that a name you associate with? Like when you think about 2000, 2010, it is Bendis writing Marvel books. Mm-hmm. There isn't a name you think about for the last 10 years for either company like that. The Marvel Universe ran through Bendis's books for 10 years. I mean, you're right. Like it's Snyder. Like he's the only guy you even got a shot with at DC. That's yep. the closest and most obvious one. And I think that tells you so. So really, like if you're building that book, you've got to choose which section of Marvel you want or which section of DC you want to represent because that's what it's going to be. And if that's the case, it's going to be Al Ewing and Pete Masi. That's who it's going to be. Honestly, those are the people who most represented over the past 10 years or Steve Orlando. How about a question we can't answer? Okay. Aaron S. from North Carolina. What happened to Daryl? And why did he stop calling the iFanboys from payphones while stalking the streets of New York? We've answered be- this question before, but I like to answer it. It's I fun. believe that you have done no research on this. Also, we don't have a line to call anymore. That's true. So that's, even if you that, wanted to call, he that's could That's the not. number one reason why he stopped calling. It's funny. I just came across Daryl in one of our video shows. He did like a we, – we had him do like a little stinger at the Comic-Con, and we used it in one of our videos. Mm-hmm. He became a mogul. He started a podcast network. I don't know if it's still going because I just don't keep up with it. it. He started a show. He got other shows. He had a network. He became his own comics podcast guru. Mm-hmm. Did he call us right at the end? Yeah, he's called us. Like when, yes. we, when we set the line down for that last time? Yeah, I think so. No, he's, I, liked, he's, I liked he's, it. I love that era. He's comics. He's still part of I just like we're not part of any of that community stuff, so we don't know anything. It was a great era. Yes. That question will come up later. Let's do the next question. Uh, what was the... We're at 14. Okay, so Alex T says, I've been thinking about this question for about 12 issues. That could be any number of years. Uh, <laughs> did Tom King leave his mark on Batman? Good question. Follow-up, is Tom King the great comic writer of the moment? Let's do the first one. Okay. These are more difficult than you think. 
on first glance, on first glance, did Tom King leave his mark on Batman? And at first, my answer was no. Oh, he did. But then my, if anything, for the marriage slash Catwoman stuff, yes. He was on that book for you changed you changed the 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 game you changed the character. Yes, you know, I mean, I would even put Tom King's Batman below all of his other works in terms of like impact. It was always interesting. It was super uneven, and I said that someone who loves his writing and a huge fan and he's a great guy, but the highlights for me sort of drowned out the the lowlights, which was like in the beginning Mm -hmm. he couldn't quite figure out what he was doing with Batman. I don't think he knew. No, he didn't. Because when I when and I, talk- I asked him, I had him on the show when he was about to start, and I really got the sense that he was like, "Uh, I don't know." Well, I'll I, any- I ran into the Comic Con when he got announced as the writer, and he said, "My goal is to basically do the Batman the animated series," and that's not what he did. No, but well, it's, it's funny because that first arc was super actiony. It was that was Gotham the closest girl, and yeah, that was the closest it came. And then and then he found whatever his thing was, and I and I liked it. Like overall. You know, there were parts, parts of it. Even, even if, like, the whole Bane stuff was kind of... If nothing else, he has a supreme eye for art talent, and so he knew, let these people draw it, and I will I will write to their strengths, and we'll just do that and keep it interesting. But that whole time, I remember you and I just being like, do other people like this? They can't, right? right you know, right, right. that is an impact, because the fact is, they didn't let him finish his story. Not, I don't think not, because it was successful. Those books never came out, by the way. I don't know if it wasn't successful. I mean, you're talking about the top book in DC, which took us no, no, no. when he was on it. Yeah, no, I know. But they decided to take him off of it and they put. If he was uh, successful, they would let him finish his story in Batman. They wouldn't have moved him off sure. into a. And I think the only reason he. And this is total speculation, sure. which will be totally wrong. But I think the only reason they moved him off and let him finish his book in a miniseries was because he became the next question with Mr. Miracle and the vision and other books, mm-hmm. his level of prestige went high up in terms of awards and accolades. Yeah. Um, and move units of books, 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 which is, but you're right. Those, those books have never come out. That's amazing. And I'm all right with that. I mean, I love him. I love who's the artist clay man, but mm-hmm. I'm not super thrilled by, by Catwoman and Batman being a couple. So I'm not, no, but, uh, but uh, it, it was interesting to read. I, no, I, at the end of the day, like it was always interesting to read, even if you're like, I don't know if I liked that. You know, but those were the, books. The closer you got to the wedding, I loved those books because yeah. I knew they weren't going to get married, so I was never worried about it. And the other thing is that he did the thing that Bendis always did really well, and other guys. Remender did this. He said, "I'm working with these artists. Mm-hmm. These are and like he made good books. He was interested in that. It wasn't work a day stuff." as we get into whatever DC is now that doesn't and I want to be clear I'm not saying they're never coming out people in the chat room are saying they're going to come out I'm, I'm saying they just haven't come out yet yeah it's no, been a long time it's been, it's been a long time it's been many many so months. let's move to the next question which is is Tom King the great comic writer of the moment I don't think and I think such thing I, I think he's the only one in that if you announce listen anyone else you announce an Adam Strange 12 issue miniseries no one gives a shit and doesn't get covered and no one cares and it's not a big thing every time an issue comes out for whatever reason, he's tapped into these twelve-issue minis, focusing on a Vision or a Mister Miracle or an Adam Strange, and that causes a ripple. And so, and that by itself, I think, makes him the great comic writer of the moment. Even if it doesn't translate to super huge sales, mm-hmm. it translates to great work. Well, and everyone knows, everyone who cares knows it's going to be great work. So when we say the, the we say the great comic book writer of the moment, that's a very subjective question. Well, because the moment's different than the moment used to be. Because in the past, the moment would have been... Yeah, but what's like great an comic Alan, writer mean? Alan Moore in 2000s 
was the great comic writer of the moment who was putting out 10 terrific books. And they all sold a ton, but that's not how the comics are now. I mean, I think it's just like anything else with the long tail theory. Everything becomes pick and choose. So there is no monolith. There is only bits and you take the ones that you like the best. And because there's no one thing dominating everything and those days might very well be over other than some blips that happen here or there. So it's hard to talk about things in that same way. Who's the great band right now? What's the, the most important TV show? No, I mean like current stuff. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it doesn't yeah. exist. Yeah, but yes, I, think, I think he is. I think he is. He's because he's the because we've got. There's literally no one else who would make anyone care about a Adam Strange miniseries. Not like that, no. And there isn't. There isn't. No, you're right. You're right. Even if, you, even if you keep the art team, it's 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 not. You know, if if mm-hmm. I was going to say a name, but I don't want to denigrate anybody. If I'm writing, if I announce I'm writing a book with Mitch Garrett, and we're doing a 12 issue series on Ambush Bug, let's not say Ambush Bug, Firestorm. No one's going to care other than what the fuck I, is that? I think, or who's this number, I think issue number one is going to sell gangbusters is what I think. But if Tom King says the next miniseries that Mitch and I are doing is a 12 issue exploration of Firestorm, people are going to go, oh shit, that's going to be cool. That that's, what, that's a big thing. Yeah. Great writer right. at the moment. You're right. Yep. I'll give you that. Robert B. On the video shows, the opening segment of comics in a long box ends with Neil Adams' controversial cover of Speedy from Greenland and Green Arrow 85. Why was this the comic chosen to close the opening segment? Because it's rad. No, because that's what the editor chose. Really? We didn't have input. We gave him scans of. No, we gave him the cover. We didn't tell him what order to put him in. Right. So that this was the editor chose. We we hired a guy to create the opening for our video show. He said, "Send me like fifteen covers that you like." Mm-hmm. We sent him fifteen like classic or iconic yeah. or covers we just liked, and that was the one he chose to end on, and that was the reason. We never <laughs> sent him notes. We never said, "Hey." That's yeah. weird. Don't do that. The heroin one. That's just because we were tw- we were. I remember young. taking photos of the long box that was used for that in my hallway. Oh really? I didn't yeah, know yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Lindsay and I like lit. You the must box. have done that. Ron did the covers then, because I remember doing the covers. Yeah, yeah. We d- I did the pictures of the box. But yeah. literally, the guy who made the video chose. Well, that's, that's interesting though, because we gave him a handful of them one, and like he picked that one, and that, and I think we all would have been like, yeah, you should put that one there. That's. I mean, that's like I think it's really interesting that somebody who doesn't know anything about comics gravitates towards that cover. Like I get that when I didn't know anything about comics, I remember that cover. It just goes to show there's most times there's not a reason, there's not a big reason. It's just no. these are just things just happen. <laughs> things happen. <laughs> Brian C from Cleveland, Ohio, the best comic book scene on the planet, according to Brian. Well, they got he Superman. Has, he has two questions. Number one, we all know you're both digital readers nearly exclusively now. It's been a few years since Connor rid himself of most of his physical collection. I get the sense that neither of you miss having a collection as a whole, but do you miss anything but having a collection of comics? No. I think every once in a while, which is like once or twice a decade, I will pull one of the little boxes out and look through it. I think I did it on one of these shows once, and we kind of went through them, and that was kind of fun. That is the end of the story, though. It's been so long. I mean, obviously, it's been years since I got rid of, I got rid of my collection. But before that, it was so long since I had them handy. They were in storage for years. It wasn't like they were in my house and I would just leave through them every now and then. It had probably been 10 plus years since they were like around and I could leave through them. So to me, like they didn't even exist anyway. Do you know how like rich people, rich John people? Paul Getty has pieces of art all over yeah. his home and then a bunch of them in storage I don't like owning things that I have nothing to do with. Hmm. Like, it doesn't what about do anything. Records. 
I get really stressed out when I think of the fact that I have records that I won't listen to. So I choose them very carefully when I get records and I try to make sure that they're ones that I listen to because otherwise I feel like I wasted my money. Oh, like, I, I, I misunderstood what you said. I thought you meant nothing to do with meaning I didn't create them. No, no, Just no, no. I mean, interface with. Yes. Yeah. Like then it, it may as well not exist. And then it means that A, I wasted money on it and it's taken up space. Right. And that's what a comic collection feels like to me now. I have a stack of them. If you were to come here tomorrow and be like, can I just take these? I would say yes. I have no right. attachment to them anymore. Now, if we were still doing the video show. Different story. Although, yeah. honestly, it, it'd be so much easier to just pull any image I need from the internet and, and do it that way. Now there's enough stuff and it's high res enough that it's faster. And I uh, hated scanning. I hated scanning. Let's skip his saying. Let's go to Dan C. from Madison, New Jersey. Well, Dan says, I've been thinking about this question since April 2017, strong, uh, when since my son started taking a tablet to bed with him so he could read Marvel Unlimited for an hour or two every night. That's a lot of comic book reading before bed. Uh, we've seen how training viewers on a binge model has changed the way that people consume TV. So how do you think kids learning to read comics by binging them, whether on Marvel or whatever, DC Universe app, just sitting in the... Or just sitting in the aisle of the damn Barnes and Noble reading manga while some of us are trying to walk. I hear you, pal. Uh, <laughs> then again, I haven't been in the bookstore in a really long time. It, you know, is it going to change the way the next generation of readers consumes comics, if at all? I mean, if you've got a kid who's reading comics at all uh, from this generation, you've already lucked out, and that's an aberration. Mm -hmm. And I think it's wrong to think about it as any like the way that people younger than me or you, people who are kids adolescents and teens right now their interaction with media of any kind is going to be wildly different than how you did and it's just things are changing for everything and we uh, there's really no way to know how, th how things are going to be in 20 years or you know it's i i mean i have a hard time thinking there's going to be comics single comics for kids to read but maybe there will be i don't know but the, the way people the, consume is different. the archive of them will always exist but no but i mean like will, will a kid pick up a 22 page comic and read it probably not no, but I mean, it won't be a comic per se, probably. But I think it will also have a lot to do with the, you know, the personality of the person. It's just like anything. Like, wow, I'm really into this. You know, I didn't binge Battlestar Galactic on DVD, you know, because I didn't want to. You know, like it was like, this is awesome. You can do this thing and watch it, and eventually, like it, it lost its binging. Is a thing. Before there was digital, Connor and I found Preacher and we're like, holy shit! And we I went. Preacher. I read all volumes right. together you went you did whatever it took to go find them it wasn't easy then this was before the idea of binging was a thing but that's what you did because it was like shit i need this so the idea of like a kid goes out and starts reading kirby cx avengers run and it's like i cannot get enough of this there's, there's nothing bad about that especially difference in the long box and buying 10 issues in a row and reading them the same uh, but I, I do think there is a change in the culture where people they're like i can't watch it all at once yeah, and, and, and then, then you're like us. We hear that a show that we like is actually going to be released weekly, and we're like, oh, thank God. Waiting for this, this to end so I can go watch Ted Lasso. I actually skipped a question, an email I did want to answer, so let's. I'll do that one. CJ has two questions, both of them I like. This first one, I fanboy was started 15 years ago. Well, not really, 20 years ago. I fanboy started 15 years ago and has gone through a number of changes behind the scenes. Do you have a favorite era of I fanboy? The early years, Revision 3, graphically, Patreon? Are there any favorite jokes, running gags, some of mine are rusty auto parts and middle management risk goal? What is your favorite era, Josh, of iFanboy? I mean, I think the most exciting one, the one that seemed to have the most sort of like 
energy and future to it would have been around the time where Connor and I were working on it full time and we were doing the video shows. The first five years. No. Well, I mean, for a while it was just like a fun thing and it was like, people are listening to this weird before the podcast. No, that was definitely not it. No. So like 2008 through like 2010, about that two year period. Full time. Was it 2008? Yeah. 2008. 2010 is pre pre graphically too. Like that first bit. Yeah. Although the graphic, the first year of graphically was great. We got a budget. We got to pay our staff or like what they deserved. We got left alone. I'm going to go 2008 through 2011. See, I'm not, I'm not counting graphically in there because there was a real bird on a wire risk to the, the thing. And we quit our jobs. We were making as little money as possible. We were involved with this startup on the internet doing TV. We did not know what was going to happen. You know, it just could have been, and we were working for ourselves. There was no, we were responsible for, to nobody. 2010, I think back the most fondly of, yes. um, even though it was a it was a drain financially and physically and emotionally. But it's the time in my it's, life we were beholden to no one. We got to do what we wanted to do. I woke up in the morning and I was like, I'm gonna write what I want to write about. I'm gonna do what I want. I'm gonna shoot a video because we were doing seven shows a week five minis and a full length video show. And then this audio show. So it was like, what dumbass mini concept do I have to shoot today? You had and to. that was super fun. I've never had that kind of creative freedom in my life and we'll probably it, never have it again. It's also the, it was the last time, probably the only time in my adult life that all I had to do was get along with you and Ron. I yep. mean, that was, that's amazing to be able to do that. If there's a little bit where, you know, we were working for ourselves and my wife was working for ourselves around the time that she was pregnant. And I was just like, this is a fantastic thing to show to our kids. This is the thing you can do. And then I had to get a job to pay for him. <laughs> but it was incredibly fun that period of time, you know, getting to do whatever, you know, I, I, and the website was fun. We had a great staff of writers. Everyone was funny. And then having to come up with so much content, a daily churn of website content, a daily real good at writing daily churn of video content you know i mean seven shows is a lot and we had to figure out how to manage that and run the business colbert does four shows a week and he has a staff of writers writing it Mm -hmm. you know we didn't it was the three of us doing these shows josh and i were were the only ones who were actually full-time when i fanboy I, when I think about the gold, like the good times, the golden times, when I think about it, like when I hate when I'm whatever I'm doing at the moment, or I think about how much I enjoy that. No, I don't. I don't think about how much I was not <laughs> able to do anything or Happen. eat food so or save a dollar. So yeah, poor, but like incredibly rewarding. Incredibly so rewarding. there's that. You know, this has nothing to do with Ron. I really like right now. I I, I really do. I mean, I think that. The show is automatic is not the word, but it's very, very, very comfortable and it's very relaxing and it's very fun. And it is so satisfying to me that a Connor and I still have so much fun doing it all the time. I mean, we've, we've said this for years, but like it's the best part of the week. It's like we're going to do this for an hour and a half and it's awesome. And people still listen to it and react and we still have fun doing it. Like there's yep. a confidence and a comfort to it that I really I, I still find very satisfying. I mean, it is. It's very important to my, you know, self uh, worth and and sort of being and like having that creative outlet. 
if mm-hmm. you call it, you know, whatever it is. Like, I mean, everybody wants to go out and say whatever they think and post it on social media. But I can at least say people, some people tend to care what I think about. And that makes you feel good about yourself. You know, same same thing with you. And, and, and to have you and I be able to agree or disagree about things, but talk about it in such a way that is sort of m- mentally satisfying. I'll tell you what, we we don't fight nearly as much now Never. No. as we used to. Not, true. I mean, like in, in the, the, the other, you know, in that period of time, there was a lot of fraught and not fighting like it's dumbass fighting. It was arguing over comic stuff, which yes. looking back on it was so stupid. But like, I don't even know the last time we argued about a comic thing. Like, I don't even care enough. That's not true. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know yeah, no, I mean? I, yeah. We're going to take a brief detour into a second question before answering another question that's similar to the one we just answered. And his second question, which I just scrolled away from, what are your top three items at a barbecue? Am I cooking or am I going to a barbecue place? Let's say you're going okay. to a barbecue establishment. What are the three? You can only get three items. And just to make it clear, they're known for all of them. There's no better item. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they're all Br- going to be equally good. If you, if you could have the best of any items, brisket. Brisket's got to be in there. It's in every. Brisket's it's number one. Be. It's always my yeah. number one. If it's good brisket, then it's going to be better than anything else. Yeah. Probably pulled pork. And I'd probably choose that over ribs. Hmm. Especially if you get pork, like brisket having a bark on it is 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 a given. It must be. If you get a bark on pork, it's amazing. <laughs> brisket, I'm a sausage guy. I always love to try the sausage. So brisket mm-hmm. sausage. I often like the idea of the sausage more than the actual sausage. You know what's awesome? No. I literally salivated so much I had to swallow it. Just saying those two words out loud, brisket yeah. sausage. Now, the third choice, as we talked about in the past, is always the hardest because you've got no more options left. And I I want to say a pulled pork. I want to say a rib. It's it's also hard not to say chicken. I mean, chicken is, you know, maligned as being basic, but I love a good barbecue chicken as well. It's uh, it's rare that that follows through, though. Like, if it's really good, but I know you just said everything, this is all the good stuff. So Honestly, it's, like, it's probably brisket, sausage, and pulled pork. That's probably what I'm going to go with probably i'm gonna throw a curveball here and assuming this is all high test stuff i'm gonna go with cornbread it's a side we get all the sides yeah but cornbread that's really good that comes with your barbecue stuff at a at a good barbecue place like it's essential it's like it's like ketchup on fries i grew up my parents from texas i grew up eating cornbread nothing i love more than sweet cornbread get out of here with your non-sweet cornbread get that shit out of here no it's stupid so this is the question that was similar to the last one. Lance M, I'm loving being able to watch the old video shows. It was a big deal to be part of Revision 3 back in the day, and I wish that the other shows, Dignation, TRS, etc., would do what you guys are doing. What was it like being a part of Revision 3? Let's say that I missed when you started reading this, and I can't read the question okay. now. Number 25. We jumped, I jumped a bunch of questions. That's right. Okay. I love being able to watch the old video shows. It was a big deal to be part of Revision 3 I, back I, I, in the yeah, day. No, I just wanted to be able to refer to it as I was thinking about yeah. it. Ah. <sighs> What was it like? It was fine. I mean, we just kind of talked about it. it like being long. part of it. Listen, listen, we didn't have the best ratings. No, we were. One thing we did find was there wasn't as much crossover as they would have imagined between the tech audience and the comics audience. Yeah. We were very yeah, separate. We yeah. We pulled in our audience and we held on to them. We didn't add a ton. We added whoever it was that would have been a crossover initially, but that was, was kind of it. Um, for the most part, it wasn't a crossover. <sighs> But uh, I like, you know, we, I like we had one dumb meeting once with they gave us notes oh, and yeah. we basically ignored them. And other than that, we had basically no interaction with them. Yeah, it was a little bit of a failure to launch kind of situation where it was going to be this thing 
and we never really took off and then they never really took off and it was an awesome experience to do that for a while and 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 you know sort of get paid to do it as long as that lasted yeah i mean um, they 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 paid well for our show and i'm not well relative term you know at the time it was when split between all of us equal minimum wage but you know, everyone there was nice. They were in San Francisco. We were in New York. We only went there a couple of times. Uh, I went there probably more than Josh because uh, I went maybe three or four times to their offices. The executives were super nice. Yeah, still are. Ron was working there, so we had a certain amount of cover. Yeah, that had a lot to do with it. And, Ron really uh, wasn't dealing with them. I think Ron dealt with a lot of the brunt of the network, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But the service they provided, which was ostensibly ad sales and then the platform on which to distribute your video show became irrelevant because after a few years, the technology to self-distribute came, came along and they weren't selling ads against us. They were only selling ads against their biggest shows, which is fine. So we like, we're out. Also, I, I other than the, the TRS guys who I still like very much to this day, Mm-hmm. I, I didn't like I didn't I didn't know any of their stuff and none of those people who do the other things knew our stuff. No, nope, Brian Rushwood. That was like the other person like who was sort of cool. Yeah, we, that was a nice side benefit is that we have friendships like I still yeah. hang out. Not now it's COVID, but pre COVID I, I had drinks with Alex Albrecht regularly, like mm-hmm. a couple times a month. Kanata before he had a kid and moved to the valley. But, you know, we made friendships there that we still have to this day. And it was yeah. it was fun. It was great. Like if you know, I was in LA and it was like Jeff and and Danny, I knew them better than Alex. I don't know Alex very well. We we knew Jeff and Danny better then, but then moving out here, I got to know Alex better. We ended up in the same rotating social circle, and then finally, was like, oh, and then we became friends. Yeah. And then I worked with him for about a half a year. There was a question, by the way, just real quick in the in the chat, like who was the original podcaster people? The before us was I think Comic Geek Speak started yeah, just before. Comic Geek Speak started before us. Around comics started around that time. There was Augie. Augie was the first. It was, with Pipeline. It was Augie, John, Around Comics, and Comic You Speak, and us. The- yeah. So we did, but we didn't know any of that stuff when we started doing it. We're like, let's do this. And we started, and then we realized there were a we couple of You know what's really funny was I was, you know, my, my project previous to this was to go through all the old shows and put the show notes up on our website, which I've done. Mm-hmm. Those early shows are bad. And if we launched now, we would not have a single listener. We were just real lucky. But back then it was really funny because we, we did not know what we were doing. We were not trying. And and like one week it would be like 300 people are listening. Three and of the first next four week, shows we didn't even read a book. Yeah. Three of the first like, four. The growth early on. I remember like pretty early on. I was like, we had 1,200 downloads this week. I was like, really? <laughs> like there are a 1,000 people listening? That was and crazy. that, yeah, it went pretty quick. And and that the, unlike comic books, those numbers never significantly went down we reached our plateau certainly at a certain point you know but and then there's other things where like the way they count podcasts has changed but it was like we got our audience and then we just stayed with those people and and a lot of those people have been around i'm always surprised and so i was like i've been listening for five years and i was like oh 2015 shit (laughs) (laughs) so it's the time we've all been waiting for we always look forward to this it's the annual summary report on patron powers from the data analytics department at ifanboy oh god Oh my God, prepared to deck. <laughs> I'm going to take this off so we don't block any info. The annual iFanboy Data Analytics annual report, compiled compiled by the iFanboy Data Analytics Department. This is for episodes 700 through 749, September 2019 through September 2020, compiled for Mr. J. A. Flanagan and Mr. C. S. Kilpatrick. 
Everyone's talking in the chat room. I did not make this report. This is the data analytics department. Ask so, Carol. I don't even know those guys' names. Chris, the data analytics department made this. I did not make this report. But let's go. Section 1, 2019-20, patron powers. These figures relate to shows released 15 September 2019 to 20 September 2020. This is the fourth year of the patron powers program, Josh. Four years. Really? Doing, yeah. Changes to the program in this year include the reduction of powers bestowed from three per show to two per show, which happened on March 22nd, 2020, episode 723. Total number of powers bestowed in this year, 153. This compared to 200 the year before. 69 by Josh, 70 by me, one by us together. I don't remember that happening. Ryan did seven, Jim Viscardi did one, Jim Mushkowski did two, and Damian Sherman did two. This is incredible. Total all-time powers, 755. 311 by Josh, 309 by me, one by us together, 81 by Ron, 37 by Ryan, seven by Jim Viscardi, four by Paul Montgomery, two by Jim Mushkowski, two by Damian Sherman. In the last year, we bestowed 15 superhero names along with powers. Most favored power types in the last year, light-based power, four. Eric Seals can control ambient light. Patrick O'Kelly can, his toes are flashlights. <laughs> Rusty Richardson is visible only to selfies. Super Gavin can emit any kind of light from his hands. <laughs> Decontamination powers, four. <laughs> Ryan Kendall, living space is always dust-free. Evangelical car and shoes are always clean. <laughs> Matt Nima can remove all stains from anything. Darren Goke uh, can remove all stains also. We duplicated that power. Five body morphing powers. Joe Coranda, his blood was replaced by butterscotch pudding. (laughs) (laughs) Matt Bona can transform all limbs into foam rollers. Tim can control the growth of fingers and toenails. He can grow and retract them. Dave Schweitzer can morph into any character previously played by Gary Oldman. (laughs) That's great. That's a great power. I don't don't remember that one. Brett Matthews has hands and feet that can morph into surfboards. (laughs) Media Savant power seven. John Timothy Watt can tell if a remake of existing property is good. Ross Moore can determine if you have Netflix-worthy development deal deep within your soul. There's <laughs> 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 all the behind-the-scenes trivia about every movie. Uh, Brian Morgan retains a full walkthrough guide to every video game. I, Connor Kilpatrick can manifest... Oh, someone gave, that's right. Damien gave us powers. Connor can manifest his harsh desire, uh, favorite viewing matter, and streaming services. Basically, he always knows what he wants to watch. Or me, anyway. Jake Ross can uncancel a TV show. <laughs> Bruce Bryce Bridges can discern his degree of enjoyment of any TV show simply by watching the first 15 seconds of the credits. Uh, Food-related powers, eight. Matt Path can grow any vegetable. Kyle Sands can make bad food taste delicious. Philip Jonek can produce any kind of ice cream from his hands. William Martin always orders the best thing on the menu. MCCN can tell which he won't like or you won't like. Carl Erickson makes perfect bread for any occasion. (laughs) Carl will transmute any food into any other kind of food. And Brad Briley can instantly marinate anything. Connor's top five all-time favorite power types. Number one, food-based powers. Number two, body morphing powers. Number three, light-based powers. Number four, stationary-based powers. Number five, stationary-based powers. Well, yeah, what's that? I don't know. Things that don't move? No, I thought maybe like paper. That could see. That seems more likely. Number five, vision-based powers. He's got numbers. You can see this on the screen. Josh's top five powers. Number one, body abnormalities or mental powers. Two, food-based powers. Three, electronic powers. Four body morphing powers, media powers, and transforming powers all tied for four and five telecommunication powers. Patrons receiving more than one power for a variety of reasons over the years. 24 lucky patrons have been bestowed more than one superpower. Adrian Lilly got two, always knows that things will fit and can turn off on and off optical illusions at will. Andrew Dezingle 
knows the Wi-Fi power through for all networks in every location and can see the number of hit points needed to defeat other people hovering above their heads. Sometimes one of, the, one of those is very good practically, and the other one is very funny. Sometimes we miss a, a name. The list gets all screwed up. Oh, there's a whole long list here. I'm not, I'm going to skip these. There's a lot of them. You can see on the screen people with two powers. There's a lot of them. Wait, what was mine? What did he give me? Josh can identify actors from their voiceover work alone. I can do that. Except for the one guy in Avengers. And then also, once he refuses to sign up for retailers marketing schemes, once he never has to do it again. <laughs> um, well, skipping these. I fan grumbles. Oh, he, he's keeping track of I fan grumbles. I didn't know. Oh, that. wow. Three were recorded this year. Only three? Josh continues his ongoing crusade against left handed panel stacking. Various books across the year. Connor hates the trend of companies making their heroes as unheroic as possible. This came to a head with the Daredevil 21. It's been bubbling under, under with numerous heroes from the big two for some time. Both Connor and Josh have voiced their dislike for the obligatory essay at the back of Image Ones. Actually, that's more Josh than me. I don't really care. Uh, explaining every last detail, the inspiration, and creative process of the book. Adventure Man 1 elicited this response. Here's a quote. Jeez. Quote, I'm fucking tired of that. Put that at the back of a trade. Don't put it at the end of the first issue. I don't have any context for it. I don't care yet. It's just too much explaining what's going on. Let the work speak for Christ's sake. Don't tell me every thought you had that led up to it. It's driving me nuts. And it's not just this book. That's definitely Josh. I stand by all of that. 100%. Yeah. And finally, the final section, What Hurts? Commencing in episode 726, What Hurts is a new segment running on an occasional basis so far. Connor, weird pain in the side of his knee, stabbing pain in the tendon of his thumb, and all pervasive allergies. Josh, a sore bone in the outside of his foot excruciating pain in the joint at the base of the left thumb, the site of a previous surgery. That's true. Are they I, still I, hurt? I always want to bring that back. We don't have time for it now, but soon we're gonna we're definitely gonna need to check in on this. Are those things still hurting? Um no, those are all good right now. Uh, there's other pay- stuff. My I've al- strained my neck. My allergies are always annoying. Uh, they've been bad here lately too. Well uh, the fires have been driving my eyes crazy. Oh, sure. Stabbing pain tendon. No, that went away. I, I have I have a stretch I do for that. And then uh, weird pain in the knee. Yeah, I still have that. Yeah, I'll get that occasionally. That's always fun. Yeah, so there you go. That's the uh, analytics department report for this year. That's great. Which segues into thank you to the patrons, the patron powers. Yeah. So every week at patreon.com, you have patrons join up and you give it the $5 or higher level, get your superpower live on the show. Guarantee Josh hasn't been thinking about it. I have. I wrote it down at the beginning of the show because I knew I'd forget. I've just got to try Guarantee to find Guarantee I was here. wrong. Larry Davis. No. <laughs> Larry Davis knows how to artfully end any conversation he chooses to. He can get out of any conversation mm. nearly immediately, and he'll say the right thing, and it will not it will not be awkward. No one will be left feeling badly. But it's time to end that conversation for Larry. He can do it. I feel like you, there's envy in your in the power for you, Josh. It's it's not envy. It's it's aspiration. <laughs> Brandon De Philly. Or Depillis? We'll see. I mean, it looks like Depillis. I mean, but it could be Debili. I don't know. It doesn't look French. When Brandon punches someone, they turn into Biff from the Back to the Future for one minute. Butthead. They turn into Biff. Any version of Biffs. It could be middle-aged Biff. It could be young Biff. It could be cowboy Biff. The but for one minute. The, it's There's always Menor. There's always Menor. <laughs> You know how I thought of this power? It no. started with manure. Sure. This is what I'm telling you. My original thought was a guy who, like dirt, 
didn't touch, like it hit a force field. And right. I thought of the manure scene. Uh-huh. I thought, oh, that's kind of dumb. Then I thought, well, Biff, oh, that's interesting. And that's how I got uh-huh. to Biff. Uh-huh. Punch a guy or, or woman or whatever you identify as. You turn into Biff for do one minute. Think, do you think the weirdest thing that ever happened on Seinfeld was when George was convinced that manure was a great word? Manure. Because you've got the ma, which is good, and the nur, which is also good. Ma, nur. It's the it's the weirdest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life, and I think about it all the time. Let's jump to 29, Josh. 29. Okay, let's do that. Jimmy S. of Jersey, the New Jersey, not the old one. I noticed there are a lot of homage or reliance to the nine-panel grid. Do you think there is an oversaturation of storytelling using the nine-panel grid? It seems like the artist is restricted to it lately because of the storytelling as well as a shorter page count. The writer, but I don't know what the writer refers to there. Well, the artist would be restricted because of smaller panels. Right. We've talked about that with uh, Gary Frank at Doomsday and Doomsday Clock, and with well, that um, was very specific. Yeah, but like that. I mean, it, it's just a fact of life. The, the nine pound grid smaller, so you you were restricted in some sense. I don't know if it's an oversaturation. No, there's only a couple of books are doing it. It's just a stylistic choice that maybe we're, you're noticing more because I mean, Tom really likes it. Jeff Johns just used it. Like it's uh, it's been in a couple of high profile books, but yeah, and I think you know it's a move for some folks. But also, you got to you know those folks, people making those comics now, are going to be the ones that Watchmen hit them at exactly the point in their comic reading adolescence that they're going to think that they're they're doing that in that way. Like a guitarist is always going to like. If Eddie Vedder was your guy, or not Eddie Vedder, Eddie Van Halen was your guy, then you're gonna, you know, that's gonna be there. I think that's that's how it works. But you know, nine panel grids, like if you go back and look at old comics, like Golden Age, Silver Age, like you know, the the panel, the 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 compositions of the pages weren't all that dynamic. There would be nine panel, or you know, like they're yeah, pretty more, rigid until what nine panel gives you is more story to tell. You know, it, you but now it's it's just a pacing move. I mean, right, but also a, it allows for more panels in the page. Yeah. It allows you to tell more story. When when you've got to tell a 20-page story, it's hard. So nine panels gives you more panels you, per page. I will say if you're like a um, Tony Harris kind of guy or, or you know, where, where you're doing three panels a page, that's a lot harder to make work now uh, in the 20-page era, I think. I, I don't believe he would do a nine-panel comic. No, but that's just because that's not his thing, but just, you know. True. All right. Kenneth J., why does your co-host have better comic book taste than you? Side examples, please. Ooh, that's a good and I don't. I'm gonna. I feel like altering the question. Okay. To say why does he have good taste, or what? I don't think either one have better taste. We have our own taste. Well, I mean, I think it's. I think it's the same thing as what you're saying. It's like, what is it you admire about taste of the other person? Yeah, I guess much more in tune with the structure of comics than I am. Like I, I definitely see it when I look at it, but I don't see it intuitively. I have to actually look. I'm more emotional reader. I read the story and then notice the structure or honed in on the structure, and you're really good at analyzing it. Thank you. I think Connor is more able to enjoy things <laughs> uh, because of what he just said and the way that I look at comics. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a chink in the armor person. I will look for something, and I want to find things that are good, but a thing can throw me off, and, and that error 
can stop me from enjoying the thing as a whole. I can be too analytical. So I think that Connor is better at, at t- looking at a thing and just deciding, like, I like this or I don't. I can take it or, or leave it with the spots that it has, but it's going to work for me or not otherwise. I have to work harder to like something. Uh, and it's it's exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think we both... Uh, we both have our tastes, and I like our tastes. I, I wouldn't if I thought Josh yeah. had bad taste in comics, we would have a much harder time doing the show. I, I respect and appreciate Josh, even when our tastes are different. I respect and appreciate them. There's yeah. always a reason for them. The consequence of doing the show is you have to explain yourself. I mean, that really, that's the only reason that this show's ever worked is that we, as a co- group collectively, and other people we have on, have have very good taste. And that isn't to say that it's snobby or whatever, but there's reasons. Like it's just it's thoughtful. It's you know like something has to there has to be a reason for something to be good or bad and i always appreciate talking to people like that it's and, mm-hmm. and, you know connor's the best person at that even though the you know, not even when ron was here he has also a very different he had a very different i don't know if he's reading many comics these days but we all had very different ways of looking at comics which made the dynamic interesting because what josh would find really valuable maybe ron wouldn't care about or what i liked about Vice something right, right well what i liked about something maybe josh wouldn't care about. like it's all it's all we're all coming at it from different angles and it's not about indie or mainstream it's just about yeah where you look at art you know and it's and i'll say this i'm thinking much better at reading the structure because of having this conversation with josh than i, than I was when i started i mean i yeah i mean i've learned from having the same kind of i think i i think we're missing a valuable piece without ron here and i think it's one of the reasons that we never found another person to fill his shoes full-time because there is not another person like that and you just miss having an audience that you laugh at your jokes that was a different thing is that i would just (laughs) i would just try to make him laugh and if i could make him laugh that meant that i other people would be laughing and it would be fine no but 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 seriously i think that he i mean obviously i can be too like thinky and that definitely frustrated me back then. Like I think talking about our, our arguments, that would be kind of the thing. Like now it's just like, you know, you get older and you just you just sort of accept what people like and don't like. And they may not like you like like things the way you like them, but you know, mm-hmm. I'm much more mellow. But you know what we don't get though, is we, we don't ever get that thing where I don't get to go, this sucked, <laughs> you know, and not be able to back it up. Well, like, once in a while. Well, yeah, but like I won't really run out of that unless I know you're going to go with me or you're at least going to think it's funny because you're going to know why I thought it sucked, like the X of Swords or whatever. (laughs) I I tell you, the most fun I had reading that book was thinking about you reading that book. I was so angry. (laughs) I didn't know. I was like, oh, Josh is going to want to burn this book a lot. I was at the end of my work day today. It's Friday afternoon. And I was like, all right, I'll just quickly read this before I go. 68 pages? Josh messages me at like four o'clock on you know two hours before the show. He's like sixty six pages. And I was like, oh, you waited till now? Oh, Josh. Oh man. All right, let's move on to the next one. This is a good. This is actually really good. not actually. They've all been good. This is a good one too, though. Do Kendall H thirty three thirty three. I've been reading comics since two thousand six. And at this point, I don't remember what happened in any books th- that are more than about two weeks old. When you guys are asked to arbitrarily make a list of top five comic book stories of all time, how do you even remember that? 
what happened in All-Star Superman? How do you trust that your memory of The Dark Knight Returns holds up to the modern eye? How can you compare something more recent, like Tom King's vision, to stuff that you liked when you were a kid, especially if it's something that you haven't revisited? I have been thinking about this for about a year and a half since I bought a copy of Identity Crisis with the intention of reading it again. I like every single thing about that question right <laughs> up into the, right through the last sentence. I just... <laughs> So this is obviously based on that we had a question a few uh, week ago, or or was it on the on the hangout where we talked about this? I don't remember. Yeah, we, we always get this question. That's where I can't remember. Where when, when, always... when things happen, I can't yeah. remember. Every page of the Dark Knight Returns, I can tell you exactly. So Kendall's asking this because someone asked us our top three. It was like our top three books we would, and we I, I remember we said like Watchmen. We said. New Frontier, and we said, I said Dark Knight Returns, and also like it was all older stuff. And so the question is, how can you remember or trust your memory? How does older stuff compare to modern stuff? There's definitely a modern bias in the question, which is fine. And the answer for me is, I've read Dark Knight Returns probably 200 times, and that's a conservative estimate. <laughs> when I was a kid, I read it like every day. <laughs> but even I, then, that gives you the ability. You can't judge it that way. Like you couldn't. Like I couldn't tell you right now. You did that. I watched Monty Python and the Holy Grail every day. Right. Literally. You know. Like, is it good? I mean, yeah. But shit, I don't. I don't know how to how to send us up now. I think there's a real time problem here because I feel like you're there's a certain point and a time in your development, and there might be different points of it where you are going to really connect with a piece of work. And it's going to be close to the the point of what I would consider. Hey, Mike Romo's here in the chat room. Sorry, the I, it's going to be close to the point of like your enlightenment, meaning that like the the point when you go, oh, comics. You know when you like when you fall in love when you you know and there's going to be different points that that happens. So I can easily go when I first you know started reading Preacher and got all the way through it like that stuck with me. Now I was not a new comic book reader at that point, but it has as opposed to like three weeks ago I read a book that I really liked. Well, the thing is, most most things we've, and we've talked about this before. Most things are fine. Mm-hmm. You know, when you read when you read fifteen comics in a week, thirteen are fine. One's really good, one's really bad, or and two are really think good. of any of them again. And so the things that are like great stick with you. Put a pin in that, and the stuff you read as a kid. Now, when you're a kid, you're a very different reader as an adult. So, mm-hmm. like I said, I had a box of comics that I just reread every day. You know, I, I started going weekly to the comic store at twelve, but before twelve, I read Giffen and Demetrius Justice League issues that I had in my box over and over and over and over and over. I read The Dark Knight Returns over and over and over and over and over as an eleven-year-old. So when Kendall asks, "How can you remember what happened in The Dark Knight?" and I'm going to include Justice League because that was on my list of the question he's talking about, it's because. There, I know them. I know them as well as I know every scene of Casablanca, every scene of The Godfather. I've, you know, it's like I've, I've, I've read them so many times that. Only, and I, I'll be honest, I don't remember the plot of Vision. I remember liking it a lot, but if if you put a gun to my head and said, "Explain to me the story arc of the Vision," I remember I can somebody got killed, and it might have been the daughter. I don't remember exactly. I remember it was really great, and if I read it again, I would really enjoy it, but. A gun to my head, I couldn't tell you that. I could tell you the whole plot of the Gray Man arc because that was the three issues of the Justice League book I had as a kid and read over and over and over again. I can tell you beat for beat Dark Knight Returns because I've read it 200 times. That's why See, I, I can. I didn't read that, but I know that they're like they're like seminal works. 
yeah. obviously. And so, like, those are the works that I will go back to every once in a while. So I will go back and read Dark Knight Returns every once in a while. And every time I've ever done it, Watchmen's the same Watchmen. way. Every time I've ever done it, I go, oh, yeah, this is – like, it will be better than the last – it will be better than my memory of it. And so that's how you know those are a thing. The New yeah. Frontier, which we just did, the, is yeah. the same thing. When you, I went back to New Frontier, I was like, this is even better than the last time I went to it. And that's the same thing with great movies, with great comics, which whatever. I find it's, for whatever reason, it hasn't happened to me like that in a long time. Most of that stuff is pretty old. And I don't know if that has to do with my age or the quality of stuff coming. It's probably more me than every because somebody else right now is reading something that's making a huge difference to them well but if you think about it yeah, if, we, you're right. if we were doing this show in 1986 mm-hmm. most of what we'd be reading would be forgettable but we would read more than and dark knight returns or crisis infinite earth and we'd be like or there's there was several books that came out that year josh and i almost wrote a book about that <laughs> that were like seminal works but for the most part we would have read a random issue of green lantern and not thought about it ever again because that's how it is which is still and just, that's just like TV and movies. <laughs> most stuff you most stuff you consume, you just never think about again because it's just it's consumed. It's funny because I'm watching through Fargo again, and I remember at the time you seen the first season and the other ones that came after. I was like, I think this is the best show on TV. Yes, and and being very convinced about it. And then I'm why just I'm just about finished with the first season again, and I've been like, yes, this is like you know it, it's when you go back to something like that and it delivers again you know i've watched the west wing a dozen times or whatever Mm -hmm. and every time i go back i'm like this is as good or better than i thought but if you go back to like our our okay say that we used to do a book of the week book of the year well book of the month book of the year right and when we usually when we came up to the point where which book's going to be the book of the year we would all pretty much agree it would be pretty quick conversation most of those i own them i don't remember what they are I remember I really like them, but it well, doesn't. two of them were Parker books. <laughs> yeah, well, those are, you know, but like uh, Petrograd was one. Petrograd, Asterius Polyp, uh, Af- uh, Aphrodisiac. Aphrodisiac, like, and those are all good. But I don't feel. I actually, I really do want to go read Asterius Polyp again. But even even a book of the year becomes somewhat forgettable, depending because yeah. it's all a sliding scale of of everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's the thing. Like you know, the seminal stuff sticks with you. Because I it's seminal. It Let's jump to, and I'm sorry we're skipping people's emails, but we're just that's just the, the nature of the game here. And there's some good ones we're skipping, and I feel bad. Maybe, maybe we'll do them on the show. Jump down to, this is a quick one, 38. 38, Bryce says, I've been thinking of this question for about 10 minutes. Well, so that you jumped in. Which Nightwing costume is Connor's favorite? Black and blue? Red and black from the new 52? Or that awesome collared disco outfit? Disco. It's also not a disco outfit. It's a fucking circus performer's outfit. He's wearing a circus performer's outfit. That's what he's wearing. So but the, 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 the disco people copy the circus people. The deep V with the with the collar, which is a which is a basically his trapeze outfit, uh, is the best one. Everyone knows that. Every right thinking person knows that. What? Mike Romo in the chat room knows it. Everyone knows it. What is the the there's the black one with the blue? Oh, that's a great. Nightwing's had pretty uniformly great costumes. The the black outfit with like the the blue wing, which a red was, one. It was briefly red. The new fifty-two when they made all the Robins wear red, Red Hood, Nightwing, and Robin all red. Red. We have a Lego minifig, and it's the red version of that. And I couldn't. It's fine. It I prefer blue. I um, like that Robin is one of those, or not Robin. Nightwing is one of those characters who like doesn't really have a single costume. Like he's had yeah. a bunch of them, and it's not 
it's not annoying. It's sort of yeah. part of it. You know, Batgirl's another one of those, or yeah. Iron Man actually do a. Although her new costume is so dumb, it's just it's such yeah. a thin mask. Little like change. She, she was standing next to her dad, and the reason is she knows like does she not does he not see like her whole face is. <laughs> Let's. I'm gonna do the next one, even though it's for me. Emlyn, the only email from a female we got. Emlyn W from Sunny Wales. Is that Sunny is in parentheses, and I think that that's sarcastic. I think that's some of that British humor I've heard about. British wit. Sunny Wales, United Kingdom. Where did Connor's opinion eventually end the Doomsday Clock in its entirety? I've been thinking about this question since last week when I spotted its two collected editions in my local store, and then observed the complete collection is out in October. I'm a Marvel person with a combination of Watchmen, Jeff Johns, and Gary Frank is too appealing to pass up. As a trade reader, I didn't want to pick up the issues, but I'm wondering if it's worth picking up the whole darn thing in one go. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Ultimately, I think it started really slow. The first... I actually be really curious to read it all in one go, because I, I haven't done that yet. We talked about it a lot. Almost every issue. Very interesting, at the least. Like, it wasn't ever oh, yeah. bad. It was curious at times it was good at times but it was always thoughtful and thought provoking so that alone and it's beautiful and beautiful the, the craft was top notch I, I think it's totally worth it i ultimately liked it i would like to read it all again through because like i said the first few issues were really slow we focused on those two characters that were not punch and jewel or was that what their names were the ones who were like not yeah. jokers we, we it was like three issues of them and no one cared but about the midpoint to the end was really, I thought, terrific. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, even though it was referenced in this week's Death Metal, it's kind of like you just kind of read it as an Elseworlds story because it didn't end up changing the DCU like Jeff Johns intended to be. Mm-hmm. So, listen, Gary Frank is terrific. And it's you got 12 issues of Gary Frank doing nine panel grids. We talked about that just a minute ago. Even though it's constrained, Gary Frank isn't a big panel guy. His real strength is acting and characters. So, I think it's and worth fabric reading. and fabric. Josh, you're up reading the, the thingy. Okay. So listen, if you're listening to this, you're either a patron or you're not. And I think that you have a choice to make. And it might be continue. Uh, you can get over to patreon.com slash iFanboy where the folks who are able to support the show have uh, gone above and beyond and out of their way to do so. Uh, we've tried to make it worth it for you, but also, you know, like you, you guys are the, leading the charge of people helping support the show so that not only you can listen to it so that other people can too and that we can keep doing it and uh, it means the world to us we're at 750 episodes obviously you know it didn't take the patrons to get us to this point and we love doing it and everything but it might be taking the patrons to keep this going at this point it's made a big difference and it's it's a big deal and obviously we thank everybody does that and not just our show any show it is the right thing to do it is, you know, there's, there's like things like ours are not big enough to sort of get by on advertising alone or anything like that. There is a, it is a significant commitment of time and resources and everything. And we want to be able to do a good job. And we have adult lives and all those other things in response. And we try to make it worth it for the patrons. We yeah. try to make it fun. We spend a lot of time in the patron Facebook group and the Discord channel chatting. And I don't use Facebook anymore, but I, I keep my account partially to, to, so I can stay with, hang out with the yeah. patrons. Like, so we try to keep our, and we have the hangouts, even though we're open to everybody. Eventually, they'll stop being open to everybody. They'll go back to just Patreon only. Yeah. We try to make it worth it. But uh, it should be noted, not one patron has ever been like, I didn't pay for everybody else to be able to come in here. It's about the group. It's about the. It's really interesting because the Facebook group, every Facebook group I've ever joined, every Facebook, I've left because eventually it got horrible. And cool. For whatever reason, for whatever reason, 
when our uh, listeners get together in groups, they are generally delightful. They're gems. Uh, they're gems. They yeah, are. They're gems. Everyone knows they're gems. They're gems of human beings. <laughs> so get over to patreon.com slash ifanboy. Uh, th- there are goals. We have reached several of them. The next stretch goal is a G.I. Joe corner, a monthly, yearly, weekly, pro- some kind of regular show if we reach that next goal. And then the one after that would be a quarterly live barbecue show, which I don't even know is legal anymore. You know, I was thinking about it. We'd have to all, all remotely shoot and get on some sort of hangout like this and shoot from our houses. It would be really awkward, but I think it'd be fun. Because oh, at I mean, the end of the day, we have barbecue needs, so it'd be fun. Yeah, and I wouldn't, you know, like I wouldn't have to be mad at what Ron's doing to his wings because <laughs> I don't have to eat them. You're doing that wrong, but go ahead and enjoy them over there. Uh, you can go to our t-shirt and sundries store at ifanboy.threadless.com. There are eight designs up there now. Stay home and read comics. The iFanboy logo. If one is Electro, wait, this is not official merch, but um, my very specific if one is Electro mask. Uh, That's not uh, the no, one. Of, what, what are you buying the non iFanboy masks? What is that? Uh, I didn't know. I know it's not. It's not. It's, I have glasses, so it's a problem. GDAT, nothing makes sense. Nothing matters. Man, if there was ever a motto for our time, it is that. Nothing that says nothing matters is almost too positive. That's where we're at. A portion of all sales from the uh, Stay Home and Read Comics stuff goes to the Comic Book United Fund. You can go to ifanboy.com slash support uh, for direct donations via PayPal if you don't want to deal with any of that rigmarole. Or you can get over to ifanboy.com slash Amazon where uh, we have an affiliate link. You can buy the books that are on the Booksplode. You can always click on the pick of the week to pick up that issue uh, physically or digitally uh, on our on our ifanboy uh, page. Uh, or it's just generally to Amazon. So when you buy, when you're just so fucking bored of sitting in your house and you're like, maybe the man in the brown truck will bring me something that will bring me joy. <laughs> bring me happiness. Like, once at least what I, I get about four days in, I'm like, I need someone to bring me something. I, I can't, I can't sit in here anymore. That can help us out. And it doesn't cost you a damn thing. Just go through that way. And we appreciate everybody does that. You are all good people. Absolutely. There literally wouldn't be a show without your support. So I think everyone, not just patrons, every supporter, helps keep the show going i'm gonna do rob h from yorkshire because i think josh will have an opinion on this yorkshire england so lockdown huh homeschooling huh huh Hmm? honestly we called the quits pretty early on and just opened the back door let him run free what i discover is boy my son can't focus the thing is he likes knowledge and stories but gets bored reading which is you know because he's seven but he loves superheroes and i'm convinced my wife that comics could possibly really help but not sure where to start. I'm after something not super violent, hard of superheroes, but I'm thinking the Tim versus ad- adaptations and Teen Titans Go might be appropriate. Thing is, he really wants to know more about Spider-Man and the Avengers. Any recommendations? My kids don't like comics or care about them. So that <laughs> makes this a little difficult for me. However, I have some experience. Teen Titans Go is great and really funny. And they like the cartoon. They'll probably like the comics. I think the comics without the cartoon might be a difficult sell because it's kind of weird. But if you have sort of the voices in your head about all that other stuff, then I bet the comics would be fun. Timverse, based on Batman Adventures, continues that I read last week. Bad choice. Um, no, but the cartoons, the cartoons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, those are probably okay. It's still a little, it's a little grim. And also, I find that my kids can't take stuff that was made twenty years ago because everything seems slower than dirt to them. And that was a very. I I, I had that thought reading his email because. 
I was a seven-year-old comic reader with no problem, uh, no short attention span, but I, I also understand that things are different now. Yeah. There are a lot of Marvel Adventures type comics. I know that IDW actually. IDW is doing a ton of, they got the, they got a li- the license to do like Marvel's middle grade and younger books. So they. Yeah, those are probably the place to go to find what you need. There's a lot of them. And DC's been Ooh. putting out um, all ages uh, OGNs. Yes. I would say the, and I don't know, I assume you can get those in, in the UK. Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes cartoon, mm-hmm. which ran for two seasons. If your son is interested in the Avengers, terrific. Mm-hmm. Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes and Spectacular Spider-Man are the two best Marvel cartoons of the last however many years. Mm-hmm. It, it's a great Avengers cartoon. And so if your son is interested in those characters, I cannot highly rec- or more highly, I'm too drunk to get the right words out. I cannot more recommend that cartoon and Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes. That was good. I've watched that. That's a great good. cartoon. Great. I, I, also, I love the Teen Titans Go cartoon. I think it's fantastic. So I recommend that as well. Yeah, check out those Marvel events. I think it's seven. Uh, Spectac- those- also, if you like Spider-Man, Spectacular Spider-Man, which came out around the same time as Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, may be the best Spider-Man cartoon ever. Mm-hmm. Incredible um, cartoon. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's too old for the um, Art Balthasar. Oh, yeah. The uh, Tiny Titans. and Tiny all. Titans. My kids really liked those probably around that age. Um, I read through most they, of them. They did a Superman book, too. Superman, Superman Family or something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, those are great books. Yep. Those are really fun. So there's you know, there's a lot of that stuff. If you have a, a comic book shop up there in the north, <laughs> if you've got it around he, there. He gave you the, the cues. Josh, if you're trying to pinpoint the accent, Sean no, Bean I, is a good start. I know what a Yorkshire accent is. I've Listen, been, he's just trying to help. Don't don't I was just I was just watching just watch the English game and that all takes place around there. And yeah, anyway, uh if you if you have a comic book bookshop that is any good at all and you go in there and you say what you're looking for, they should be able to point you to they should have in stock these kinds of things because that is the smartest what thing about bone can do. It depends on the kid. I don't know. Like I read Bone with my the older one, I think recently. You used to always through. recommend Bone. Yeah, but I mean, again, times it, it, Bone is a. It gets kind of scary, and then it kind of falls apart at the end a little bit. It's one thing for me to look at it and go, "This cartooning is amazing," but like the first part it, with the bones is really funny, and like like there's stuff that was making my kids laugh out loud. At the end, it's getting to be a little like the two towers, and you just it's like, like every of arc of every book like that. Yeah, yeah, like they, they was he was getting away from the stuff that made it so. I liked it, but it's a little trickier. <laughs> My favorite bone memory is when we almost caused a riot at the Jeff Smith booth by interviewing him for too long. Oh, <laughs> and he was friendly, so we went along with it. I'm going to do Tom M from Clifton, New Jersey. I'm going I'm to jump to the second question. Tom M is the host of the Good, the Bad, and the Nerdy Movie Podcast. And his question is, what is the worst movie that is a part three in a series? Well, that's a there's a and lot usually that, of possible answer. Usually that means part three of a trilogy, but there's there's some obviously longer series. I'm sure you could maybe throw in a Fast and the Furious, although I don't know about that. But Tokyo I mean, Drift is okay, but it gets away from the initial concept. But then they come back. The easy answer is The Godfather, part three. However, I haven't seen it in like 15 years, so I, I don't know that I feel good about saying that. I watched it. I want to say five years ago. It's not as bad as you think. I remember thinking there were really good sequences and scenes in it. But it's bad. Like It was nominated for Best Picture. It's not good. It didn't win. 
but it was nominated. No, like there's weakness. I thought there's I saw the thing like like he's thinking about re-editing it or doing like I can Yeah, see. they're re-releasing it and I think he's re-editing it. Is he gonna edit his daughter up? I should. She's 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 genuinely t- she's a great filmmaker. And an incredible filmmaker. I'm so excited for her new film with yeah. Bill Murray and uh she's really Jones. bad in that movie. And it's it's like it's it show it shows. So this is this is all right. So there's your there's your Spider-Man three. Which mm. we all saw together in the theater, which was threes are hard. Spider Man three, Dark Knight Rises, bad. X Men three, The Last Stand. I know that you're gonna stand up for Superman three. I love Superman three. I know you. I, know I you love are. Superman three. I'm gonna say, look, Spider Man three is terrible. X Men: The Last Stand is terrible. But in terms of a letdown for me, The Dark Knight Rises might be the worst. In are we this- only talking about. Are we only no. talking about superhero movies? No, but I'm, I'm just thinking of, <laughs> I mean, I can't... How can you... I mean, yeah. But, like, in terms of loving Batman Begins, loving The Dark Knight, going into that theater, being so excited, and 10 minutes into the movie going, oh, fuck. Oh, no. Just being so crushingly disappointed about that film. Well, so, like, from being high to the lowest lows... Now, is it Jaws three? No, but I'm I'm talking about the expectations I had and the the disappointment I had. Uh, I know what you mean. I know what you're saying. I I... X three is similar because X Men was really good. X X two was terrific. We had a question earlier. We had to skip about the. I've seen them both recently, and they're both still really good. But three was terrible. But it was a different director, so like it's. I was expecting it kind of because of Brett Ratner as opposed to Nolan, who I love. Terrible director. No one who I love just just I don't think he knew what he wanted to do with that film. I don't know if this counts, but Matrix two and three that go together. I never saw them. I just skipped them. I never. I don't think I ever saw three. But I have never. I don't know that I've ever experienced a letdown from the Matrix to the second Matrix. So that didn't even go to the third one. I think I read all the reviews and I was like, nope. The thing about the Dark Knight Rise. Our buddy Hank, who people have seen in our hangouts and have seen in our video shows, and he recently watched The Dark Knight Rises, and he was texting me live updates, cool. and they were really funny. Why are all the cops underground? I thought you were going to tell me that he watched it, and it was actually... Because it's Chris no, 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 it's bad. It's okay. bad. It's bad. It's bad. I'm sorry. I don't want it to be bad. It's bad. All right. I love everything. Almost, I didn't like Interstellar, but that's, we're not going to get into that argument right now. You didn't like Interstellar? <laughs> I didn't really like Interstellar, but we're not going to get into it. It's so many times. It's fine. I love that you love it. I just don't I love, love it. I love it. Let's move on. We're going to skip the Beatles question. Vamp for a second. I was going to say. Oh, okay. Right. You haven't been for too long. John, I'm going to. Oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> Revenge okay. of the Sith. Oh, well, Revenge of the Sith is pretty bad. Yeah, John, but again, like, that's another one where it's the same as The Matrix. Like, no, it's not the same as The Matrix because the first Matrix is a really good movie. But yeah, but this like this with the second and the third, like the, the the Phantom Menace, I was like, all right, it wasn't good, but there's hope. And then the attack of the clones comes along. And it's like, oh, Jesus. And then by the third, by the time the third one gets there, you don't even have any energy for it. Like it's it's just it's just which is the same as the Matrix. Like I just I have no John idea. V from Brooklyn, New York. You often talk about the time in and around the 2000s as a great period. Bookending it roughly at the authority Marvel Knights at one end and the second Marvel Exodus increased parent company control on the other with Morrison Porter, JLA being the Stooges and Velvet Underground to this era's punk. 
Was it for for adult readers the all-time best period for big two comics? Aside from the fact that it eschewed a lot of clunky stuff like excessive exposition, has there ever been a time when, on average, the stories have been of a greater variety of artistic styles, more complex themes, richer characterizations, and better dialogue? If it wasn't the best overall, could you say it was the best period for writing? And do you agree with my bookends? I think it so. It's difficult for me. Yeah, I was going to say, I think so, but it's difficult because I can really only apply it to my experience. I only lived through all those other times, so it's hard for me to say. But I can tell you that, let's say that we've been, quote unquote, seriously reading comics for 23, four, you know, like 20 years, really. But we'll just a little, little add a couple onto that. And that was the most fertile and interesting time, especially the early bit. 2000. I don't think it's even a question. No. Nah, I think you're right. Coming out of Marvel's bankruptcy, DC is still basically an autonomous unit. Marvel could do whatever it wanted under Palmiotti and Quesada. Mm-hmm. I don't think you ever had a more interesting time of quote unquote adult comics yeah. across the board than you had from Warren Ellis on Authority and Stormwatch. What number is this? This is number. Uh, 43. Okay. Uh, Warren Ellis on Stormwatch and then the Authority and then Marvel Knights happening to what was his other bookend was the second image Exodus. That's like all the image books. When Ron went to Image and Remender and Jason Aaron and all those guys did image books. Bendis and Marvel, Ultimate Spider Man, New Avengers, you know, Jeff Johns doing Justice Society. Yeah, it's tough because there was really great stuff in the, in the late 90s before that. You know, you had Rucka and Brubaker on Batman for an extended period of time, which was incredible. But if you're talking about a sustained period of time, the thing that inspired us to do iFanboy in the first place, yeah, that got Josh sort of back into comics with both of his feet, it was, it was that. It was 2000. It was Bendis and Powers. It was Gotham Central. It was Queen and Country. You know that it was nothing to lose. It was yeah. like we we can. It was these people who came in with a ton of talent, and there was no you know like Marvel was bankrupt. They were like, whatever, we'll do really good stories, and that yeah. was it. That was the line. Like, let's do really good comics, and it was like okay, like, and we haven't seen that happen again. Yeah, because then Marvel became a Disney property, and now DC is a AT and T property, and mm-hmm. I mean the movies. I, you know what? I, the end point is two thousand eight. It's Iron Man. Like comics might have had some not eight because it wasn't quite sure what was going to happen after Iron Man. It I know, was, but like that was that was the I moment. I would say two thousand to two thousand ten. I mean, I would really say I would say ninety eight to two thousand ten is really right. what. So I am going to pick apart your metaphor, which I liked, but somewhat problematic because not sure. we got a lot of questions. No, I know that Stooges was way before Punk, and I don't consider Velvet Underground part of that. But let's say if we're using Underground Punk, I'm going to take it from early eighties, which would be like. Black Flag, Minor Threat, Bad Brains. That to me is like the late 90s when pop music is bereft, you know, and there's nothing else going on. Now the the, the Stooges come way before that, as do the Ramones. So that would have been like stuff from 86. You know, like that was this, the 80s, like 86 is the Stooges, the bellwether for what's going to come, but it doesn't all pick it up until later. Jump to 45, Josh. Eric C. <laughs> I say everybody like I'm Ice Cube. There's a, there's a, there is a question I've been thinking about for approximately 33 hours or 2,000 minutes. Thank you for the conversion. Basically, since Avengers came out, dominated the box office, and didn't translate into comic book sales. 
my math, every time I listen to an episode of iFanboy, I think about this question for about five minutes and or for 400 episodes or so. My theory, this is a very well-constructed dissertation. Marvel and DC's non-standalone storytelling is to blame for the films not raising comic book sales. Basically, a casual fan will have no way to jump onto a regular series without being totally lost it'd be like starting breaking bad on season three instead of just watching any old law and order episode spider-man far from home could be a hit but if a movie fan buys spider-man book how do they how do they respond to the spider-man actually being doc ock how did you just blah 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 this applies to me in many ways i'm one of those strange listeners who mostly doesn't buy weekly books but my last purchase was a green lantern annual but listens to keep up with the storylines and get suggestions for other stuff creator own styles thoughts am i totally off base First of all, okay, I've forgotten where the first of all was. That's yes, not, that's he's totally off base. I've had. I don't think it's ever been different. No. Now, in 1989, when Batman 89 came out, you can you can find this online from the people at the time. It did raise sales. Sales skyrocketed for Batman comics for a little while. Right, but they they people went and got comics, I, and I don't think it was because they went to the books and were like, "Holy shit, why is Robin here?" There's a lot of reasons why the movie sales, the movies and the TV shows haven't resulted in comic sales in, increasing. And by the way, Josh, I know you took a lot of shit back in the old days of the website for saying this would never happen, and people were mm-hmm. like, "No, it'll happen eventually." It never happened. Never happened. Number one is that people don't read in general. Number two. People don't read comics. Number three, they can't find them if they want them. And I realize they're digital now and everyone could find them, but you have to look for them. You have to know where they are. You have to know where they are. You have to know what comicsology is and you have to go to it. And then number four, you got to pay $4 for 20 pages. Comics are fucking expensive. And number five is why would you do all that when you can just go watch the movie? So there is a fallacy. That if you like Batman, you will want Batman in any form. And it is a fallacy. If you like to watch a Batman movie, then you're going to want to watch a Batman movie. It's a whole different experience. It is laid out for you. There's music. It is exciting. You know how to watch it because you're familiar with watching TV and movies. And there are celebrities in it. So you recognize the people in it. You've already into the situation. If you want more Batman, the comic is not the first place you go to. Well, what about these other two? You have cartoons, you have... There's all sorts of other things. Comic books are comic books. You read comic books because you like the form. One way or the other, that has has something to do with it. It is not a direct line to go from one to the other. I recognize that when somebody makes a movie of something really big, they sell a lot of the novels of that movie. They sell a lot of the graphic novels. Yeah, that's the thing. And and why do they do that? Do those get read? It doesn't matter. The point is... Here's my second, my 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 tenth point. Why do they sell so many graphic novels? Why did Watchmen sales go through the roof when the t- the movie came out and the TV show again? And why did Walking Dead sell through the roof? Because there are more people wandering around bookstores than there are in c- comic stores. Why did Batman '89 result in a big comic spike? Because at, in 1989 you could buy comics at the newsstand mm-hmm. and in the drugstore and the supermarket. In 1989. I had a newsstand on 79th Street and Broadway, two blocks from my house, that I w- went to every single day. Comics were in front of people every single day. They went there for the newspaper. Mm-hmm. They went there for their cigarettes. They went there for their magazine. And they saw comics. And now, if you went to see Batman, 
and you saw a Batman comic and either you wanted it or you thought maybe your kid wanted it, it's right there. And it was 75 cents. But it didn't, it's price irrelevant. Right. Even I talked about it. It's right there. Uh, yeah. If you're in a bookstore, there's a Walking Dead graphic novel. There's a Watchmen graphic novel. Otherwise, you have to find the comic store. And if you're not in a major city, there's multiple reasons why it doesn't. It's not. There's not one reason why it's not this. It's certainly not the storytelling. It's price. It's availability. It's accessibility. And, and, it's and let's let's take that one step further. You find a comic store. You walk into that comic store, even a small shitty comic store. It's just every. Uh, can I help you? No, I'm just gonna browse. And you're going to turn around and walk out unless you're the person who like really wants to dig in and get going. And again, that's going to take some initiative. One last point to what you were saying about 1989. If in 1989 someone said, I really like this show. Have you seen it? You said no. Oh, well, too bad. Because you wouldn't see it again. <laughs> like That was it. Like right. It was not nearly close to the choices we have. It's, it's not even... It's not even the same ballpark. The yeah. idea of TV that we have now compared to how a TV is then like, yep. you know, like it just, it just didn't happen. There was not VHS seasons of television programs. There wasn't like, you know, you'd rent a movie that that's kind of what you could do. I don't think it's the product. I don't think it's the content in the pages. It's no different than it was 20 years no. ago, 30 years ago. If you're a kid who says, I love Batman. And I want to read Batman comics. You got to find comiXology. You got to know what to look. You got to look it up and find. Like, it's not like it's in front of your face. It's not like your dad's buying his smokes uh, with the paper and says, "My kid loves Batman. I'll buy him some Batman comics." You've got to find it, even though it's accessible in some ways more accessible than anything ever because it's online. You still have to know where it is. You still well, have yeah, to go there's, find. There's it. everything else online too. I mean, yeah. like it's fighting with everything for your two forty two forty six. Ryan M. from Cincinnati, Ohio, says, why did the Animation Brain Trust not review Deathstroke, colon, Knights and Dragons, 2020, and Constantine, City of Demons, 2018? And did either of you watch them? Quick review. No. No. Why didn't we review them? Well, the Animation Brain Trust was formed, and its mission, its mission statement, its trust, its public trust, is to review the DC Universe animated original films. Now we have ventured off that path. Occasionally we did a Marvel animated film. We did Batman Mask the Phantasm. But for the most part, we do DC Universe's animated original films. Neither of those films are part of that line. These are both part of the DC Seed line, which are films they made to tie in with the Berlantiverse shows and were available on their Seed platform, which I don't even know what the fuck that is. But these are not part of that line. We don't generally review things that aren't part of that line. I have not seen either one of these. That's why. Do you have any interest in seeing those things? No. Well, here you go. That's all. Jonathan E., I've been thinking about this question since Josh did his one-man solo show. Do you guys miss the three-person format? What were the pros and cons of that format? Didn't we already talk about that? We talked about Ron. We didn't talk about specifically the format of the show. Show's easier to do now because there's less scheduling problems and we know exactly what it is. Show... The format changes necessarily. I don't think it's better or worse. Um, I think the thing that we are missing, the big con, is that we were just, we were talking about this earlier, is that Ron specifically had a very different take. Um, and I think that he spoke to a part of the audience that Connor and I didn't. And the combination of those things was probably stronger. Like a, well, so it's always best to ha- better to have more opinions and more. Yeah, but they, but they, but but that work together. I mean, it's not better to just have more opinions. No, no I mean, like it was a shitty podcast with like six people with the on three there. Of us, 
Yes. I mean, the three of us, it's always better to have a better, I mean, between three people, you can cover more ground. Mm-hmm. You can cover, you know, people in the beginning were, were laughing during our X of Swords review because they were like, where the fuck is Ron? Because mm-hmm. Ron liked a segment of books that we didn't like. So he covered mm-hmm. those books. And, you know, that's. It doesn't work and, now because he gets all defensive about Marvel, even though he says that he doesn't have an opinion of it. He totally does. <laughs> and also when he comes on the show now, he's so excited to talk. He won't shut up. Because <laughs> we're not babies. Yeah, uh, let's do um, <laughs> Derek A's question was I've been thinking about this question since the beginning of James Tinian the fourth run of Batman. Have you noticed Batman has been smiling more lately? No, I haven't noticed that. Josh, have you I noticed? I think that's probably book book specific. I haven't it's noticed. That. I mean, it, it is one of the things about Batman though is that he is able to take on many flavors and be you know delightful in that way, depending on what yeah. you need at a given time. Let's see. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Yeah, we're coming up on it. Uh, One thing you would think that by having two of us on the show is that it wouldn't run so long, and we turned out that's not true. The benefit of three was that you and Ryan could be talking, and I could be teeing up the next email. Right, I see. This is a quick one. Django B. from Bellingham, Washington. Do you guys like it when a comic book uses a real president as a character or prefer an invented president? Question 55. That's a very good question. I prefer an invented president especially now because it is just too weighted (laughs) i mean even when it was obama it was weighted not for the right reasons or bush yeah actually most of my adult life it's sort of been a very just the appearance of it 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 brings up all these other real world questions that make it no fun it's just i feel the same way about um this is just pet peeve this is only vaguely related to this you hate when um journalists play themselves in movies that are fictional i hate it it should not be yeah, I mean, this is more of a Marvel thing. Marvel likes to be in the real world, so yeah. they do they tend to have that. Yeah, no, I mean, that's their choice. So they tend to have the real world presidents. You know, they had Clinton, they had Obama, they had Bush in their books. They haven't uh, had Trump in a book, have they? I don't. I haven't noticed it. It, except for certain circumstances, I prefer fictional. I think it can be a powerful tool, like in The Dark Knight Returns with yes. Reagan was a yes. powerful tool, and it, it wouldn't have been the same. It wouldn't have been the same social commentary. Now. Did I need Clinton to be the guy who gave Captain America back a shield? It's Captain America reborn. Wait, not really. No. But it's fine. I, I don't really have a strong opinion on it, but I prefer an event president. It depends on what you want it to say. I mean, but the fact is now if you have the real person, you are, you, you're putting a different element in there that you might not have wanted to. Josh, we're in the home stretch. We only have six left, so we'll do 56. 56. Justin V., I have read all the classic Garth Ennis books like Preacher and Hellblazer, but over the last 15, 20 years, Ennis has written a multitude of war stories published under smaller comic book publishers. Since you two seem to be the experts on random Garth Ennis books, which of these would you consider to be worthwhile reads? This is tough because they really are spread out all over the place with no discernible He's all over the map. He's, like we said before, he'll, he'll shake his cup for whatever publisher will publish his World War II books. Now, if you're talking about 20 years, that's great because you're talking about his Dynamite run, which included Tankies and included Night Witches. Mm-hmm. Some of his best stuff happened in that first period where he, joined, where he published at Dynamite and had... War Stories used to be at Vertigo. War Stories was the name of the book at Vertigo. We call them War Stories. I don't think he called no, them. No, they War. were called War Stories at a certain life. And he owned it. And like they moved no, it. No, no, okay, Vertigo. But I don't know after that they were called War Stories. I don't no, think I think they, they were, were, is my point. Really? I think at Dynamite they were for a little bit. I would say that if you can, if, I don't know if you've ever read the Authority Kev books. 
at some point I got them all and I read through all, all of them. And I remember when they originally came out, I just didn't get it. And I was like, this is weird. But later going back and reading the Authority Kev books, I really enjoyed them. And it was just this guy, Kev, who was like a, a British SAS officer who, you know, I think that's right. He's like a special forces kind of guy. And mm-hmm. he just didn't, he didn't have, it was a little like Tommy Monaghan. Um, but he got involved with the authority and all this stuff and 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 sort of taken down uh, people within the government who were bad. It was really fun and really good. Now, I'm going to point out, like I said, any of the Dynamite books, especially from mm-hmm. the early run of that, were great. Night Witches was incredible. Tankies, Tankies was incredible. Mm-hmm. We talked about Sarah from TKO on yep. a show during the quarantine part. There's no new comics. That was a great book. Someone in the chat room mentioned his Fury books at Marvel. Fury, were great. Fury Max was the other one I was going to say. Is Fury like, Max, Goran Parlov was incredible. Yep. And I've got a new one that I haven't read yet that actually I got as a recommendation from the Patreon Discord channel. He did a he did a OGN for some publisher I never heard of. Mm-hmm. I haven't even read it yet, but it's on my shelf. I bought it. I love his war comics. I'll buy you know wherever he pedals his fucking pedal. I'll take it. Punisher. Born is that, that was another one that was good. So. Yeah, it, he's done a lot. He's done some that weren't that great. But. Yeah, Punisher Born was the the one about Frank Castle in Vietnam. It was fantastic. And the thing is, usually the problem is when he's at the smaller publishers is that the art doesn't keep keep up with his writing. That's usually the problem. But it wasn't yeah. a problem with Sarah. It wasn't a problem with well, Fury Max. Acting, yeah, it was a problem with Tankies or Night Witches. But there was a couple of those in there where it was like the art was like, Ew. yeah. But that's I don't the, like. He does some horror stuff. Um, someone, someone we actually skipped out. a question about that earlier about his horror books. I don't like horror. It was also when he did about the flyers. I don't know. He's he's done a lot of really great horror books over the years. There's no bad ones. Like no. if you happen, to, like if you like Google Garth and his war comics, you're gonna be okay with pretty. You're gonna there's something gonna be good in there. Like you're you're not like the art is the is sort of the only thing you need to worry about there. Milan V from Cleveland, Ohio. The second V in a row, which is odd considering. I've been mulling this over since quarantine began. Seems like decades now. And I thought I'd ask your brain trust. I guess that's us. What has become of the milestone Malibu comics lines that were swallowed up by the big two? Are there any examples of lines that were bought up that continue to exist in some form or another in the hands of their new owners? I can think of Wildstorm, but I don't even know if those characters are still being produced. There's, there's not still Wildstorm. They folded him into DC. Yeah, so Malibu was bought by Marvel. Never heard from him again. M- Milestone. Milestone's owned by DC. It's they published the... a few books. They didn't go anywhere. They're republishing now in the midst of the cultural revolution we're having. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But DC will be publishing new Milestone books. But for the most part, usually when a big publisher buys a small publisher, they're never seen from him again. Those yeah, books well, I'm never... stuck around for a while. I mean, it's because Jim Lee. That's only I gotta yeah, believe yeah, that's yeah. the only why it's because the the fucking publisher of the company. Those are his characters, so they they well, live on. They do, but for a little while, Wildstorm is a really interesting little image. Like Marvel bought CrossGen. Like, like, like they they, they suck up did? these. Yeah, I forgot about that completely. They suck up these dead companies for nothing, and then they they think maybe we'll do something, and they never do anything with them. Right, because they're worthless. Yeah. I was gonna think Valiant, but that's not what he's asking. No, Valiant's his own company. Yeah, no, I get that. Uh, but Malibu, Malibu is owned by Marvel, but they don't publish anything, and Miles is owned by DC. Next, I assume you know. You, I'm just go with number fifty-eight. We're going through the. We're going through all of them. Socrates A. Socrates. Socrates A. Dave Beef Heaven. 
Stanley was an amazing. I'll just talk about that. We've done it. We've got to move along. Stan Lee was an amazing spokesman for the comics industry. No one has really stepped into that vacant role. I nominate I nominate a managed Rob Liefeld. He, do I have to keep reading this? Yes, read the whole thing. Okay, I know. He's passionate about comics, energetic, and has 30-plus years working in an industry with various highs and lows. He would need a PR handler to help him manage Rob's passionate off-the-cuff comments. Outside of that, I think he'd be great. Who would I fanboy nominate? Well, no one, and not it's not Rob Liefeld either, but I will say Rob Liefeld is super passionate about comics. He is super enthusiastic about comics. He was always a great interview about comics. Apparently, he's doing some podcast series that Gabe Hardman has been raving about, but he is he loves comics. Say what you will about what he draws or writes or whatever. Says, thinks. He, he is an ambassador about, a great ambassador for comics. Now, there will never be another Stan Lee. And you can't artificially put someone into Stanley's position. Stanley built and earned that position. You can name people. People are talking to Mark Miller, Rick Remender. They're all fine, entertaining people. They are not Stanley. Stanley was a cultural force. Why? He created most of the characters, so he was associated with them from the get go. He put his name on every Marvel book. Every Marvel book was Stanley Presents, so his name was out there in every book. He narrated every cartoon his he was the face of the company for the public so he put himself out there from the beginning and he is there from the beginning as the creator you can't artificially insert someone into that position i you can't do think i i don't i don't disagree with you and it's a different way they're all nice people but they're not stanley okay. is not they're naming creators Those people talk about their own work but listen i do think that there was a bit there. I think Joe Casada is the guy who has come the closest. He had a thing, at least among the community, as did Dan DiDio. I think those two, and they had a little bit of a dually thing going on, which I thought was kind of interesting and old timey. Like, like they would, they would, uh, you know, they would rib each other and go back to the old days. The guys across the street or whatever. But that's, that's, inside, that's inside baseball stuff. We're talking about a guy who I know, but, they, but it was all inside baseball at that my point. My mom knows. I know, know everyone. Not gonna because- because he put himself out into the public, and when they talked about him, oh, this is the guy that created Spider-Man. You can't put Rob Liefeld out there and be like, this is the guy that created Youngblood. No one gives a shit. Well, he'd say, I created Deadpool, and he would think that would be equivalent. Right, but like, it's, it's not the same, because he's Stanley was very cognizant of the power you. of mass media. And I'm, just, I'm, exp- I'm, I'm not yeah. reacting to you, to the, the email. Stanley was cognizant of the power of mass media, and so he, he made it his job, once he was no longer a day-to-day publisher, to promote the brand to the world. And so he, he spent decades doing that as the creator of all the characters. So he had cachet. You can take any charismatic motherfucker in comics right now. They're not going to become Stan Lee. They're not because they don't have the cachet and they didn't build, they didn't build the groundwork and they didn't narrate the fucking cartoons on Saturday morning. Spider-Man and his amazing friends and Hulk and all the cartoons. He was, he narrated every episode. He was very smart about and canny about putting himself out there into the world as as the face of comics and it's interesting because he really straddled a bunch of eras like he's part of the golden age like he was he was around in the 30s and 40s and so and he went all through the silver age and then sort of uh, kickstarts that uh, that marvel age of stuff and 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 went all the way through you know to two years ago Mm -hmm. kind of amazing i don't know it's some magical combination of like his voice 
plus <laughs> and his like, persona and yeah no yeah like his he had the bona fides of being the creator of all those characters yeah so and and he never thought that he was respected for it and he didn't own any of them so there you go <laughs> to the next the, the point is you can pick anyone they're not they're never going to replace stanley no and it, and it wouldn't because also he's the he's at the beginning of the thing as yeah. it exists now it's like it's almost like the same thing as like the, the reason that we're sitting here is because we started podcasting when we did you we were the, we were there at the beginning. We wouldn't do it. Like, like I said earlier, yeah. six hours ago, if we started the show now, we wouldn't be getting nowhere because no. that's just no one, would, no one would be able to find it. We got three questions left. Go to Jeff. Jeff L. Probably not Lemire. What is your favorite, not necessarily best, but favorite adaptation of a comic book property into another media? I suppose I'm thinking of either a movie or TV show. But maybe there's a play for an album or sock puppet show that has a place in your heart. I think we're going to go for movie or TV show here, Jeff. Oh, that's a, I wish I had prepared for this. That's okay. I mean, if I was told you can only ever watch one comic book film ever again, it's Superman the movie. Probably. I mean, I love The Dark Knight. It's it's my it's the best for me. It's the best, and I love a lot of the films. I love the Avengers film. I love the first the Infinity War film. I love the Iron Man. I love all those movies. The, the Marvel's run is unparalleled, but if they say you're gonna only ever watch one superhero movie ever, it's gonna be Superman the movie. But modern, just to me, modern it, it embodies the ethos yeah. of the I, character the best, and and superheroes the best. I agree with you, and that's fine. Modern superhero movies, you have to pick a favorite. Which a modern like post what? 2008. Post 2008. 2008. Let's go from Iron Man forward. Uh, the then it's The Dark Knight. Thor Ragnarok is my favorite superhero movie. Okay. TV shows? TV shows. I really love that first season of The Boys. The Boys is terrific. The it first season. So I fucking good. About it. Yeah, I started to watch it and then got distracted. But I think it's because they're releasing it weekly. Even though the, uh, the numbers apparently through the roof, no one's talking about the first season. Anyway, the first season of The Boys is terrific. Uh, yeah, did you like the, the TV? Like, you know, the... I like Daredevil. I love Smallville all the way through. It's a, for all its camping. I mean, I love that stuff. I love yeah. the campy soap soapiness. I love Smallville. I love the Flash. I love Arrow. Flash is a uh, good show. I don't. I just. I don't watch those shows before. Yeah, yeah. It's not your thing. I wouldn't expect but, you to watch those. Things. But I did watch a few of the. Flash, and I was like, this is great. Like if this was the thing that I, I wanted, you know. But um, Watchmen, obviously, Scott Pilgrim is a wonderful movies. adaptation. Scott just Pilgrim is great. There's a lot of there's a lot of great puns, but like if you're picking one, it's Superman the movie. Yeah, that's fine. That's fair. That's good. Brian R comes in and says, "I'm moving in the next year, cross country. The question is, do I take this as an opportunity to switch to digital books rather than find an LCS 20 miles from where I'm moving to? I've been thinking about this since rebar was a thing. I got that. Rebar is not ever not a thing. I don't, uh, I don't understand this this thing about should I do digital or not? Like I've I've like that scary thing. I know, just like you could start doing it now. It really has to do with your preferences. It doesn't really matter. You can do, if, you can do both. You can if the object is important to you the way that a vinyl record is important to me, then keep reading comics. If you want to be at a place where you can talk to other people about comic books in person and you found a store that has that, by all means, go to that, support that. If you don't want those things, you just want to stay home and you don't want to spend that money to drive somewhere in the time you don't need to get out of the house, then you know, when or you like just reading on your, your iPad, do that. Or the hybrid model. 
do some of each of those things. Yeah, I mean, it depends on where he lives. Right? Like if he's living in a small town where there's no comic store within 50 miles, then maybe that make that's or, your answer. Or, but or sure even to, worse, if there's like a shitty, terrible comic store that makes you hate comics. Like I, I, I reject the idea that it's like that, that factions have to be created against each other, mm-hmm. right? Like digital people are one thing, and and like store. Like I don't know why we have to be. We're all in this together. It's a small medium. We're fighting to keep it alive. Why do we have to be at odds? All it is is different methods of reading the same thing. I mean, we should all be at odds with the fucking pirators. That's who we should be at odds yeah, with. Not I agree. I have friends who run comic book shops, and I've I've had the conversation is that I was like. I don't think that the digital comic book customer is the same customer oh. as the as the physical comic book customer. Yeah, a couple here and there, it's not a statistical right. significant number. But it it feels like one of them wants to go buy the object, and the other one just wants to read the thing, and they'll do it the easiest way for them. Who cares? Who cares? Yes. <laughs> Who cares? Give us a fuck. The world's burning. I don't care if you read it in paper or digital. Fuck it. <laughs> Fucking California's on fire. I'm drinking. Burn it all down. Connor is my favorite Connor lately. Like no, but the, the point is like we're all, we're not we're not up to our ears in gold here. Like we're trying to keep this alive amongst corporate malfeasance and all kinds of shit going on. Why do we need to make this a a, a thing where we have to fight each other? You know, I've seen people yeah. like swear like, oh, he reads digital. Fuck that guy. Like, like, what do you care? Who cares? Really? Yeah, I've seen that online. <sighs> You know, I've seen it from comic store owners. Well, th- that's different. They they have a whole protectionism thing going on, and it has stymied the development of comic of digital comics as a as a delivery system and a, a pricing thing. Where I think that had that not happened, the shops would not have gone out of business. The publishers and creators would have made more money and be looking at a whole different thing. But they were so afraid that everybody would leave them the way that they left record stores. But that indicates. The CDs are so different than hey, comic fans are not the same as other fans. They're right. mostly in, a, in in the artifact business, uh, and I, I don't say that derogatorily. I just no. that's just the reality of it. Uh, I, I would say, look, Brian, if you are in a close proximity to a store and you want to keep reading physically, great. If you want to read digitally, great. If you're 100 miles from a closest store, you don't want to make that drive to get comics and read them digitally. You know what I think is a thing is. People don't like if you're used to buying physical comics, you don't want to try digital for a little while and then have to go back and then have like a three issue. Oh, sure. I I bet that's a ton of what it is. I get it. But I just feel like we also just enjoy the comics however you want to enjoy them. You know, this could all end tomorrow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so read the comics however you want. I like reading them on my iPad. You might like reading them in person. I like reading them in paper in book form, but not in comic form. You know what's funny? I read so much digitally. Every once in a while, I'll go back to a paper book and I'll go, this is great. I just read, and I just read this. And I was reading it in paper, Dragon Hoops by Gene Yang. And uh, and in paper, I was like, it's so great to read a comic book on paper. Like It was was amazing. But it, it, you know, it's whatever you're used to. All right, the last question comes from Jimski. Who's your favorite iFanboy writer from the website days? Be completely honest, unless it wasn't me. Do people even know who he is anymore? <laughs> he was just on the show. I know that. I'm just saying, like, if you're here, like, when was that? When did that stop? So here, here's the tricky bit. Jimski wrote this in. He's probably listening. Sure. 
Mike Romo, former writer, is in the chat room right now. Ryan will hear this at some point. He was a writer on the website. So somebody just mentioned Connor's iPad with a pull start in the in the chat. That's my favorite joke we've ever done on the show. <laughs> I will say this. Fuck man, Jimsky's an incredible writer. I, I will say this. Jimsky is my favorite. Jimsky is my favorite writer we ever had. He's a much better writer than me or you or pretty much anybody I know. And the fact that somebody isn't paying him to write uh, that dude could write whatever he wrote, it would go up on Monday morning. Uh, I, I don't get the sense that he was like, I've been working on this. He would be like, oh, shit, I got to do something. And he put it out and he would get 100 comments. By the way, I think I think Mike Romo just cut you out of his will in the chat room. Mike Romo knows exactly what I'm talking about. He knows Every, that I love him. Everyone we brought on and hired was great in their own different ways. They were all great. Paul is a savant with the yes. word. And he became a savant on the show as a host. He was the glue for a long time. Mike brought this incredible enthusiasm into his writing that is really hard to do, to translate. It's it's full Mike. Uh, Sonia brought her, her, her unique take being outside of the norm and being from England and being a woman. We had dozens of people over the years. I mean, the answer is Tom Caters was the best writer. That's more for dig at you than anything. Yeah, Timmy, no, I know. Timmy Wood, the you know our our late friend Timmy, was hilarious. Things. You know everyone, everyone right. we had Molly, Ali, Chris Neesman, Josh, David Brothers, Ben Simpson, Josh Richardson, Josh, Josh Christie. Oh, we're gonna forget somebody. Matt Adler did before us. Matt Adler. We uh, had a ton of people. Chris, uh, Chris Arendt, who's like. In charge of all comic books running like Zorama or something. Yeah. Like we had a we had really great writers and we didn't bring on anyone who we thought couldn't write, but Jim is an incredibly talented Jim, writer. Jim, Jim was my Jim's my favorite, isn't that it was the one that I was most like, oh, I can't fucking write like that. And it pisses me off, but like in a good way. Also, uh I think Jeff Reed is actually the best person. Jeff Jeff Reed was incredible. Jeff Reed wrote great stuff. Great yes, stuff. Did. With Everyone so wrote great stuff. We were so incredibly much, lucky. Uh, Paul Dini and John and Hickman were great writers. Oh, yeah. Well, no, Hickman would just go on forever and never have a point, and then we'd get all cosmic-y. And... Yeah, you just you just slagged off our former employee earlier in the show. Forgot about um, that. We had people that – a lot of people wanted to write for us, and but we, we had a very select process. And I fired one guy. Jimsky – I'll tell you what Jimsky's talent was, and you, you mentioned this a minute ago, was he's, a, he's an incredible columnist. You know, like yeah. col- column writing is a very different skill than just writing writing. You could bet on it that he would garner a reaction. And that's what a columnist is supposed to do is write about an issue and garner a reaction. And it, I would get, I would guarantee that I would wake up on Monday morning at noon and there was 80 angry comments under his article mm-hmm. or happy comments, but there was 80 angry, passionate comments under his article. But because he, he was wrong. very good at it. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. He, what he else? Had a, what I he also had a liked, point of view, and yeah. he had a way of getting it across and supporting it. What I also liked about it was he was not afraid of sticking it to you and me and Ron. No. A lot of his columns were reactions to what he just heard on the show on Sunday. Yep. And I loved that. Yeah, Gordon, true. Gordon wrote great articles. What I loved about Mike's articles, Romos, was that they were like, it was a man struggling with coming to terms with his changing relationship to comics 
<laughs> because peace. What, what, the reason why I know this stuff is because last year I was spending some time sort of cleaning up the old articles, so I was reading a bunch of them, and Mike was struggling. Like he, we, we got him at the end of his arc as a comic reader, so it was like a, it was like a, it was like a chronicle of a man who was once a big comic fan coming to terms with the fact that he wasn't anymore, and it was really personal and interesting. Mm-hmm. And Paul is just a savant. Paul puts words together in a way that that is just out of this world. And the fact that Paul and Jim aren't being paid to write is a tra- fucking travesty. Agree. I mean, we've had a lot of great writers, but but like the fact that Jim and Paul are not being paid to write is crazy. Mm-hmm. We were incredibly lucky with our staff. And yeah. we talked about this earlier in the section of, you know, what we miss. I miss having that group of writers. I miss... Did, you we know, t- did we mention anything about Ryan's writing on the show? Because if not, or on the on the site, because if not, I think we should leave it there because he'll get pissed off about it and bring it up the next time he's on the show. Ryan had a great perspective from a science perspective. He wrote great oh, science articles. I know I mean, that. Had, but... Wood wrote great business articles. Like oh, we, we, everyone had great perspectives on on the world. Yeah, I don't think that I would have known to speak about it at the time, but it was obviously clear now that like we needed people to have a a voice and a perspective. And if you didn't have that thing, uh, we couldn't do anything with you. I'm going to make a, a self-serving statement. I don't often thump at the chest, but I think we had the, that period of time, we had the best sustained writing staff in comics journalism online. Easy. By far. Is that a personality? Like Maybe. most, and that's the reason why it wasn't, that, wasn't that popular because we weren't writing about the bullshit of the day. It was genuinely interesting point of view writing about comics and in that period of time 2008 2010 or 11 there was a couple years i was genuinely pissed we didn't win an oscar <laughs> like, i tried it was like two years where yeah, I was no, there, no you're absolutely right you're you're absolutely right that was but there was like one year where i remember getting a text message i was at a bar and it's like we didn't even get nominated and i was like what the f-? like what the fuck we were doing seven what do we, what do we have to do we, we were we had these great staff like uh, I think I just accidentally deleted one of my Romo's comments in the chat room because I'm oh, drunk. Right. But um, like, there was one year where I was genuinely upset. I remember that, that. we didn't get nominated. It was well, like I went eight or nine. We were just like we were hitting it. I and, I I had a back and forth with Jackie Estrada. And yeah, I was like, I dude, we do this website. We have the. I go. We have been the number one podcasting comic books for as long as there has been podcasting in comic books. We're not affiliated with any shows a day. We're independent. We do all these shows. She's like, and then they were like, well, we don't have any way to, to listen to all those shows. And I was like, it's one little part, but look at the, like, look at the thing. Oh, but also I, you know, I came, I come from a family of newspaper people. My mm-hmm. grandfather was a publisher and editor of a big paper. And, and my, my aunt, my uncle was a publisher and my dad's still an editor. Like having a staff, it was the best. Yeah. Having a staff of great writers was the best. And yeah, comic journalism doesn't exist according to the chat room. It doesn't. We weren't it wasn't journalism, it was no. opinion writing, it was passion, it was, it was, it was like, punditry. It was like it Rolling was, Stone, or it was yeah. like, you know, cream or we weren't breaking like we weren't breaking any stories. We didn't no. want to we didn't want to do we that. We tried to every once in a while, but it was lame and it was it was uh, it was in it was inauthentic, yeah. I think. No, you're absolutely but yeah, right. but I, I there was it was a couple of years I was fucking pissed that we didn't even get nominated. You know what? You, you know what's interesting is too to think back at that. We were not paying them for most a lot of that. They right. were doing it for free. We gave they all were, of this at the end of the year, if you recall. They, they were 
on a schedule, you know, like they were held to account. We had meetings, we had, you know, like the whole deal and people did it because they loved it, which is by the way, the best thing about comics. The best thing about comics, especially during that period that we were talking about, is that the people doing comics could have gone and done anything else, but they chose to do comics instead. And that's why they were great. And that's mm-hmm. why the people who were working on art, you know, like they, you know, that's because they were doing it because they wanted to and because they care about it, but also because they were good at it. There was this combination because lots of people do it because they want to do it. They're, they're just not that good at it and they don't know it. Nobody's going to tell you you're not good at it, but. Yeah. And I, I just liked having a group of really passionate people mm-hmm. to not mold, but to sort of guide. And then I love that we talked about earlier, the, the, the benefit of the graphic area was to get to, to pay them per, per mm-hmm. article per piece, you know, for real was very satisfying. And it wasn't uh, a ton, but it was definitely something. No, but if they got money per article per piece, if they wrote a ton, they got more, maybe, you know, it was, you know, it was a thing, but you know, it is what it is. Jimsky was great. Paul was great. Mike was great. Sonia was great. They all brought their own worldview and their own experience to the, to the thing. And that was, what was great about it. All right, Dean Martin, wrap it up. If you would like to write to us, now we also have now we have a backlog of things that we can use in the show because we don't get good emails now. Yeah, we skip a lot of emails. I'm sorry. It's we it's 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 a long call, dude. Uh, you can write to contact at ifanboy.com. Uh you can send uh emails there, you can send voicemails there, you can do whatever you'd like there. Would be fine. No promises, but uh do what you can. Try to make it an interesting question. Probably not gonna be something we've never asked before, but we always get surprised when it is. I'm gonna keep just I'm gonna plow through here. So out now, animated I, brain I, trust. I, I can do it. I know. I just was on a roll. All right, go ahead. Uh, Animated Brain Trust podcast, Superman, Man of Tomorrow. That is out. The last media explode with uh, number seven, which is uh, centered on Bill and Ted face the music, but was about many other things as well. It's probably about a third of the show. Connor, did you see how excited he just got about wanting to talk about Bill and Ted's? We talked about where you can find that. 12 different things on that show, at least. So, yeah, it was was a lot of stuff on the show. Yeah. Um, Coming up, I have a Talksplode scheduled. I did move it. I was supposed to do it Tuesday night, but I found out that was the night of the first presidential debate. And I said, man, I have to watch this thing. It's supposed to be about the exact same time. But I don't like to talk about who I'm talking to normally. And I'm not going to, but it's a guest I've never had on the show, which is going to be pretty amazing, I think. Uh, And he's a real good dude. Oh, I said it was a dude. There you go. We're on Amazon Music now. That's a thing that I didn't know existed. They do podcasts now, so we are there yep. uh, on there. So you can go to music.amazon.com slash podcast and search iFanboy. I'd be curious if you could pull the comic book thing there and just write comic book and see how long it takes to come up there. But uh, who knows? It still works on iTunes. You can follow. There's a button to click follow. So if you use Amazon Music, right? Uh, think about giving us a follow. Sure. I'll do this part. Head over to fanboy.com. Find all of our podcasts. You can find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes up by liking facebook.com slash iFanboy. Or following at iFanboy on Twitter, and also we're not introducing iFanboy Comics. This is from last year's script. At iFanboy Comics on Instagram, that's where the best of the week of panel features is. And although I didn't do any this week because it was a very busy week. Individually, we are CS Kilpatrick on Instagram, J.A. Flanagan on Instagram. Not long on Twitter, so follow him now. And subscribe to your YouTube page at youtube.com slash iFanboy. Like and subscribe like the kids do. You can keep up with the date in the old video show Reloads. This past week, we did the our fanboy mini reacting to the Iron Man trailer. That's how long ago that was. Wow. A uh, tribute to Mike Weiringo and comics that break the fourth wall. That's when Augie came over. Augie came over. We showed some original art that Augie had. We interviewed Tom Brevoort. 
and Todd Dezango. Zago? Zago, yeah, yeah, yeah. Zago. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We really cared back then. Can you think of, of those three shows? Which one was the most popular? Iron Man trailer. Yes. Movie stills. And then Comics to Break the Fourth Wall. I thought the, the, the Miringo show would do better, but that's yeah. such a. Finally, if you like the show, write a review on iTunes. <laughs> Again, this is an old script. Write a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a star rating. It really helps us show. It helps uh, people find podcasts. Any show you listen to. Uh, it's great for that and then even better than that is to write is to tell your friends tell your mom tell your aunt holidays are coming i can't wait for the holidays and you can start telling your your friends and family about these around the table what are you doing josh standing up i've been sitting down for a long time i have sciatica it's late uh, you should use, i can give you some stretches for that mm-hmm. so that's it that's I, our done them all. episode josh i'm josh well, I just want to say thank you first before we sign off to everyone oh. who listened for the episodes. I guess I just decided I was done. And I wanted to say thank you for the people who have stayed in the chat room and watched the live stream. I've been watching the viewership numbers and it's been incredibly steady the whole night, which is incredible. So thanks for everyone coming out, watching us, listening for these 15 years for 750 episodes. Who knows how long we'll go, but we'll keep, we enjoy it. So we're going to keep doing I, it. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. We make a lot of jokes about stopping, but at no point in the in the recent future of Connor been like, oh, this is such a drag. It is no less fun than it has ever been to do the show. None. Yeah. None. It, no. It, it, it's it's totally I mean, I'm tired. I want to go to bed right now. Do stuff, sure. We're older, we have more complicated lives, but it's still a lot of fun in that hour plus we do the show. Uh-huh. So we're gonna keep doing it. And we'll be back next week. And until then, I'm Connor. And I'm Josh. Thanks so much, everybody. Bye.